internet. I'm a geek. I was raised by machines. My name is Matthew Kroll. And do you know that hope and despair are nearly identical in code? My name is Shahir Dowd. Bullet time. Bullet time. Bullet time. I'm Patrick Willems. And this is the only podcast about movies, specifically the film The Matrix Resurrections. I was going to say, this was easily the most easily porn parody title of the Matrix trilogy, right? What? Well, okay. It has erections. Yeah, it in has there. erections in the title. And surely, surely someone out there has already gotten to this. If not, I'm, we should. Not us three, but you know, this uh, us three here. That's yeah. what we should do, right? <laughs> we should, no, we listen, should yeah. we haven't even introed our esteemed <laughs> guest right now, and you're already talking about the Matrix erections. This is we're going. This is going great. Everybody uh, listening, welcome once again to the show with us uh, for the second time. I am very excited uh, to have a man who, uh, due to a coconut, needs no introduction. Uh, Patrick H. Willems from the Incredible Film YouTube channel. Patrick H. Willems, welcome back to the show, guys. It's great to be here. Thank you for having me back. A mere five months something like that i don't know time doesn't exist wait, wait, we did shang chi i don't remember was when that, that in came september out. have you guys What's... been on twice have you been on twice so far no or... just once okay. just once yeah okay yeah. That, that was my first time and now four months later yeah oh, and i've seen shang chi now so i can actually because at the time i hadn't seen shang chi so i have not listened to that episode oh but now i can actually go back and hear what you guys are talking about well, well so this will be great because if i recall correctly uh matt what did you say that was your longest episode ever Oh really? It was, yeah, it was the longest episode ever, I believe. Okay, at so, that point. so of, a, of a regular one-off movie. So what we'll do now is we'll spend an hour on a new Shang Chi discussion. Now that Shahir is here, <laughs> of course. And then we'll. Um, okay, I have nothing to say about Shang Chi, by the way. I saw it. I saw it a few weeks ago. I barely remembered it half an hour after I finished watching it. I, I feel like uh, we most of the time we were talking about. That that movie on the episode, it wasn't actually about that specific movie. It right. took a while. But what I was gonna say was, um, we don't we don't need to joke around about like you know like finding ways to prolong to prolong this episode because just like advanced warning right up front, you have you've made the horrible mistake of bringing me in to talk about the Matrix, <laughs> and this is probably going to be your longest episode. I ever. don't think that's a mistake. Well, listen, because oh, sorry, go ahead. Oh, I was just gonna say because as I've said on the show before, um. Uh, I had not seen the original in a theater since 1999, and Patrick invited me out uh, to go see one at IMAX, and I went and I I dressed the part. I had the jacket. I didn't know if anyone else was going to be dressing the part. I, like to, to be fully clear, Matt showed up in a in an ankle length le- leather trench coat. <laughs> oh it was, and, and he did this. I think is wait. Were over, you in like, on this, Patrick? Did, no, did you no, dress up? no, no, was this I, a dress no, up screen. It was not. It, it was not. Okay. I. Uh, the thing is, I. Even like I, I first of all don't own uh, any black leather at all. Right. Uh, but like the, I I considered wearing the uh, a piece of themed clothing that I own a pair of um, Matrix Code sweatpants. Okay. You know, nice. One of we all have our. Uh, stupid money wasting pandemic purchases. Oh, very much. You know, especially like during lockdown when it's like I just want to feel a, a brief little like hit of dopamine by like opening a package. Yeah. And uh, and I bought Matrix Code sweatpants, and I had too much shame to wear them on the subway <laughs> up to uh, the Upper West Side. Anyway, uh, <laughs> the person met, next met, did not. I did not. I, I it was fun. so I f- listeners at home. I used to be far more. Uh, 
goth-ish than I am currently. And so I that was the jacket I wore back in 1999 when I went and saw The Matrix. I was wearing dark leather trench coats, ankle-length trench coats before The Matrix. Um, that's not a brag. No, no, no. That, that's just a fact. It's okay. Here, here's the thing. I think that that w- would have come off as like lamer if you had said that in like 2005. Maybe. Honestly, yeah. in 2022, it's kind of that's pretty cool. Yeah, why not? So so uh I went, but wearing it, it was so funny because I remember specifically now we're going off on hypertangent. Uh wearing a ankle-length leather trench coat in New York City actually gets you more weird looks consistently back then and now than you think it would, considering all of the different ways people dress in New York City. But for some reason, it is something that people look at you in either sort of like worry or disdain and nothing else. And I experienced it once again that night, and it was like... It was like slipping on my own I, set of I, nice, comfy, familiar sweatpants, really. I, I don't want to lead it into this direction, but I will say wasn't because of The Matrix and uh, The Basketball Diaries, uh, the long black leather trench coat did become associated with uh, the Columbine shooters. There was a lot of bad. Yeah, right. oh, 100%. I didn't I, even know that was... I've, I've never actually heard the, the Basketball Diaries thing. The Basketball I've, Diaries has a fantasy sequence where uh, in a leather trench coat or in a trench coat, Leonardo DiCaprio walks into a classroom with a shotgun and shoots up the school. Yeah. I, I've i never actually seen, seen that movie. I didn't it's know very, that. It's pretty good. Yeah, that's I, I've always heard that. Yeah. I, I'm just surprised. I've never heard about that sequence. But I do remember that. I think it was because Columbine happened, I think, mere weeks yeah. after The Matrix opened. Yeah. Yep. And uh, that was... You know, no. So, I, so the the thing about you mentioning that people would look at you differently, I I just I forever associated, not you know not directly, but there is this thing about the leather trench coat. And there specifically is in the Matrix, the guns, lots of guns. Yeah. Scene. Oh, very much so. Yeah. And I rode that out during <laughs> and, that. But you were like terrible fuck time. It, I don't care. It's, I think uh, <laughs> I wore that till I was like twenty four or twenty five. I don't remember. I, it, it was a long time. So uh, listen. Before The Matrix, it was lovely. But but we're here not to talk about The Matrix 1 or 2 or 3, though I'm sure they might come up. Uh, um, Matt, we're here. We're going back to where it all started. Where are we going, Patrick? Back to The Matrix. <laughs> yes. We've got the best Jonathan Groff in this room. Uh, I will uh, say, Patrick, before we move on as well, this is your second appearance on a podcast in the last week about The Matrix, right? Yes. Uh, well, well. To be fair, uh, the last so I, I appeared on the, uh, an episode of uh, the film cast yeah, about this podcast. movie. Great, great podcast. Shout yeah. out to David and Jeff and Devendra. Yes. Um, we recorded that episode on December twenty third. Mm. It then didn't release until like a I think like a week or so after that. Okay. So I I was like fresh from <laughs> seeing the movie for the first time right. when I when I was on on that episode. I was still digesting it. I've since seen it two more times. Okay, so right. I feel uh, a lot more prepared. Basically, you guys. Uh, it, you guys got me when I was like ready in the right. prime, like the prime of your Matrix Resurrections uh, career. Exactly. You look, were look, fully when I was Matrix Resurrected. <laughs> that that's it. Yeah. And uh, Jesus Christ. When I was on the film cast, I was just you know like all slimy, trying to crawl out of my pod. Yeah. But now I've gone you know through all the training programs. Yeah. I know kung fu. Uh, so uh, I, I'm 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 not gonna say I can fly. Yeah. But uh, but I've like learned some shit. All right. Well, so you've seen it three times. Yeah. Shahir, how many times have you watched it? Uh, I've only watched it the one time. 
I have watched it twice. So I feel like there's a nice balance there. And, and uh, listeners, you can go back as well. We also did a recap episode of The Matrix. Uh, mm-hmm. uh, it was it last year. Uh, I think we where we also had Julian Arahanga, who plays Apoc in the original Matrix, was on the show. What? And, yeah. That's and, so cool. And yeah. we had a whole conversation about the history of The Matrix. So we, we shouldn't have to dwell back too far. Although... <laughs> oh, but we're gonna. The, the, the meta nature of this particular film, I'm sure, will lead us back down the rabbit hole towards The Matrix at some point. Um, but Matt, could you tell us what The Matrix Resurrections is about? Oh, I surely could. But of course, these are not my words. This is the Internet Movie Database. I was going to say, well, uh, Matt, what are some keywords that you associate with the brand? Oh, <laughs> yeah, mm. I would say originality yeah, and, and fresh. fresh. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, let's see I'm so of, sorry. Let's I see just, if either I, of those two I, words. I'm going to be insufferable. No, this, this, is, this is why you're here, Patrick. This is it. Usually it's just me and Matt being insufferable. So right, but now we can have a trifecta yeah. no, of, of. I'll make one, you guys look three. good. Yeah. <laughs> All right. IMDb says, "Return to a world of two realities: one everyday life, the other what lies beyond it. To find out if his reality is a construct, to truly know himself, Mister Anderson will have to choose to follow the White Rabbit once more." Sure. That it's um, all that stuff is in there. It's yeah. in there. It's an odd selection. They they're not going to say Neo. I mean, yeah, I get. I Mr. guess it's correct, but until he's until he's Neo. I know, yeah. Yeah. but I feel like IMDb is well, not normally that plugged in. No pun intended. To well, the here's film. a question: Is this because on IMDb uh, is that the brief one? Okay. Is that a uh, a user submitted no. one? Uh, Patrick, that is the official Patrick, Warner Brothers one. We've had this conversation on this episode <laughs> on the show. Every time Matt brings Matt has a has a unified theory of the Internet Movie Database that is long, it protracted, is one being, and quite frankly, it is one deranged. being that writes every one of those things. I don't care if that's true. That's the world that I'm going to 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 live in and believe in. I feel like that's appropriate for this episode, and uh, so I I judge these as if. They were all written by one uh, sentient, somewhat uh, soul. Yes. So this one's fine. <laughs> the, the description. We haven't even begun to dive into the film. I mean, I don't. I genuinely am kind of stumped about how you would do a, I don't know, one to two sentence summary of this sure. movie. Yeah. I would no, just do I, Jonathan Groff's line. We're going back. Yeah. 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 That's, that's it. We're going back to the Matrix. Jonathan Groff. Is one of my favorites. He's just, and everything I see him in, I am delighted and surprised at the same time. Uh, Um, I would would pay pay all the Matrixes to get another season of Mindhunter at this point. That's all I want in life. What a weirdo he is on that show. (laughs) On Mindhunter? Oh my God. He's like, he is like, I'm waiting because they're not, they haven't greenlit a third season of that. I'm waiting for them to do it. They're not going to. And like, and really become obsessed with serial killers in that show, like really like lean into it and start kind of, uh, you know, I guess uh, Thomas Harrison and uh, Hannibal Lichter, you know, like the Hannibal Lichter transference oh, yeah. kind of thing happening. That feels like where that show was kind of hitting or maybe not, but it's it's too smart to do that. But I, I, I am so sad that that show is not returning. Uh, yes. So good. And in the body of work of David Fincher, it might stack up there alongside Zodiac. Which is pretty. Which is pretty high. It is. Yeah. I I've only watched all of Mindhunter once. While I've same. seen like yeah. Zodiac so many. Yeah. Like, same. I, the, the, you know, this might 
it might sound weird. I don't know. Zodiac, I I find like oddly comforting. comforting. Yeah, it's my comfort movie as well. You've actually said that, Shahir. Yeah, is, that I, is a... I, you, I and I, I've I've talked about I think either on this podcast or somewhere else why I find it comforting, and I think it's because I like seeing smart people try to do very uh, try to be very good at their jobs and and struggle through it, and there's a sort of there's a sense of like a clarity to understanding someone who's just trying to unravel what's in front of them. Mm. And, and that film is just so good at that. I also think that film, uh, I know you're a graphic novel fan, um, is probably the closest in spirit to Alan Moore's From Hell in terms of a procedural. Uh, yes. And, okay. and in terms of like unraveling a procedural for a different time and generation. But like I, I also find From Hell to be like, a great reread, and Zodiac is sort of in the same. I mean, spirit. they're they're basically just these like kind of like very like they're they're about process, yeah. and I find watching like especially the the meticulous, detail oriented process yeah. of people who are good at their jobs to be really compelling. Yeah, yeah, and I, like th- this is why we I, we talked about uh, the reason I love Spotlight is that it's just a a yes. really great you know process driven movie where you're just watching people do their jobs well and it's it's really comforting yeah i i i, I refuse i say no. <laughs> no, I, no there's been a long uh, feud between shahir and i and the rest of the world really between spotlight i am i am not a spotlight fan to say the least we do not have to really? get into this yeah. now huh. it's, it's one of our most controversial episodes to be honest with you we yell at each other about Whoa. spotlight for like a good hour. But to be fair, it's now become one of those things like of myth and legend, to be perfectly <laughs> honest, where if I was to get into an actual, I don't think my opinion would change. If I was to get into an actual argument, I would have to watch Spotlight again because honestly, and it has it has vacated my brain. So I'm, I'm assuming that, that Matt's take is the priests did nothing wrong. <laughs> yeah, Patrick, that's what it was. No, I just... I veered us off course because we Listen, we, once, we went from gr- no. I, and, and this is the lineage we went from Groff to Fincher to Zodiac to From Hell to Spotlight. <laughs> that was like the six degrees of how we. But Shahir, where there. should we go back to? <laughs> we should go back to the Matrix. There we go. Excuse me, you have to do the hands. Yeah, do thing. the hands. They can't see it, but I want to. I have grown my hair out, and I do have a beard. Kind no, of. Say the line I with your hands. I don't look like Keanu, but I I feel like I I have undergone the same transformation. I, I appreciate that. Yeah. I will say, uh, as much as I'm so glad the movie is out and I can watch it as many times as I want now, I'm really going to miss. Uh, I looked forward to this so much. Every time I went to a movie theater for months, mm. they would play the Matrix Resurrections trailer, and at the end of it, I would always just say "Back to the Matrix" <laughs> and like do the hand gesture with him. And uh, Matt, I'm sure you saw me do this. I did see you do that, <laughs> and I, I'm gonna miss it. Yeah, I loved it. I, I feel I, like that might have been for you. What Henry Cavill's reloading his arms in in, uh, the in, Fallout, in trailer. Fallout? Yeah, that that was for me every time. Just ding, ding. I was just look, oh, look so good. What can we say? You, you couldn't fight the friction. No. <laughs> <laughs> and maybe my version of this is Mark Ruffalo going saying that's real good in Zodiac. That's that's all I got. He's like, yeah. okay, that's real Fair. good. <laughs> so so Patrick, actually, I want I want to I want to uh, give credit where credit is due. I have to say, I was not terribly excited about this movie until actually. I think it started when we were probably at one of the standard screenings or something for something else and the trailer came on and you were so pumped no, for no, it. No, 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 Matt, you are misremembering because uh, we are tied together here. Okay. 
because like Trinity and Neo. Like, <laughs> oh dear! Exactly. It, we, we 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 were too we, we were close, but not too close. Mm-hmm. And uh, no, we were here. In, oh, was oh, it oh, Shang Chi? Yeah, we we were here in this room recording the Shang Chi episode when the tease of the trailer dropped. That's the website right. dropped where you could choose like a red pill or blue pill, and you would just get these like. Uh, these like randomly generated like flashes of images from the trailer, and so and I'm and like we're sitting here recording the episode. My I phone think it's is in the episode. I think it is because my phone is exploding because everyone is sending this to me, and I'm like, oh my god, oh my god. There's like, look, there's the and I and so and I just uh yeah. So so we were here. I and and I just I I started my I've been kind of steadily. So I if we're going way back, yeah. Mm-hmm. To back to what? Back to the Matrix. Okay. In was it twenty? Uh, was it twenty eighteen or nineteen? This movie was announced twenty eighteen. Okay. Uh, well, I, I there was the original Zach Penn uh, rumored version that oh, was a oh, little oh, bit oh. earlier. We don't. Oh, we'll get there. <laughs> okay. I'm going to get into that. <laughs> all right, all right. Um, but um, the day that the the news broke and it would uh, and it was just you know Matrix Four happening, Lana Wachowski directing, co-writing it with Alexander Heyman and David, David Mitchell, Mitchell. Yeah. Uh, Keanu and Carrie Ann Moss are back. That dropped. I was at uh, our I, I was just at the the offices of uh, the agency that represents Matt and my YouTube stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, I fell out of my chair <laughs> I like I was so excited I basically like I was sitting in a weird lopsided way and um, I saw it my brain shut down and I fell out of my chair <laughs> uh, and I I, I I I've never been so like in my I don't think I've, I've ever been so like singularly excited by like a movie announcement <laughs> ever and so I was steadily excited and like following any little bits of like you know, just like like news or, or reporting on it for a couple of years, and then as soon as the the that the website dropped and like you know the like the movie's like Twitter account went live and they started like dropping little images, I was just in full freakout mode for months. <laughs> say, and, and and because of I think maybe that's what I'm misremembering is that moment when you were so excited about it, I was like. It really jazzed me up to also be excited, but like I knew it was coming. Like I, I knew it was happening or whatever. It was also a weird thing because they didn't drop a trailer until like four months before right. the movie. Look, and I've been trying to get Matt to get excited about the power of the dog for the last few months, and I have not been able to do it. It's true. Have you seen you're, it yet? you're failing. Yeah. No, no. Oh, it's so good. I, I'm sure it is. And we, we will do. We will do the episode. Sheet. We will. But, do it, but it's not like Patrick, you know, like exclaiming, just saying the words "The Matrix." If I say "The Power of the Dog," Matt just looks at me like, "What?" If you do yeah. it with the hands, but if you, but if you go. Bronco Henry. <laughs> See, I, don't I, know I haven't that... watched the movie yet. I've just been like, wait, you it... haven't seen it either? Oh, no, well, look at this. I, I thought you'd seen it. I am catching up with a lot of movies right now, and I actually, <laughs> what I did because uh, I, I will, exp- I'll, I'll tell the story again. Not, not, I won't tell the story again. There's this is going to be your longest episode where ever. I yeah, explain I, I that I once insulted Jane Campion over <laughs> on the phone, and um, I, and I've and I've always felt it was a secret shame that I have not actually seen the piano. So I last Neither week watched I. the piano. 
and the piano is incredible. It is. It, I I am embarrassed as a New Zealander that I hadn't seen it at the time it came out, uh, but I just watched it recently, and I was like, oh my god! Now I'm so ready to watch because uh, I think it was the only Jane Campion film I hadn't seen. Um, but and it's the most famous one. It is the most famous one, and I'm a New Zealander, and it happened. <laughs> and and Anna Campion's father coached my basketball team every now and again what <laughs> so, hmm. uh i i will say i am like kind of embarrassingly not very well versed in a lot of jane campion although i have seen the power of the dog yeah. but because uh the the podcast blank check is about yeah, to yeah. do her filmography i was like great i'll just follow along right and yeah fill in all the gaps i yeah no uh we we used to teach her film sweetie uh in uh in the film class that i taught and uh uh, well, anyway, that's an embarrassing story. There, there, if anyone is uh, following, uh, I'm sure Tourist Man, our uh, local Topam historian, they will that's recall right. the story and uh, uh, and say. But regardless, I have a lot of respect for Jane Campion, despite. This and movie. and uh, I I recommend you both see The Power of the Dog because I'm it's going raw, to. A, a listener uh, really good emailed me this week and said and said this. It was not only the best film they'd seen this year; it was without a doubt the best film they'd seen in the last twenty years. Wow! Whoa! <laughs> wow! Okay, that's. Real, I mean, that's so hyperbolic. I'm yeah. like, I, I wouldn't say that to a person who hadn't seen it because then that's it's hard like, to come back from. Yeah. It is. I will say, I think it, it is. It is in my top five favorite films of 2021. Yeah. Yeah. All right. So high praise. All right. High praise. Yeah. Uh, Where does the Matrix sit? Um, I think it's. I I think it's in my top ten. Okay. Yeah. There's 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 something. Anyway, I, jumping back, I wasn't terribly excited for this until those moments, and then the hype has been real for me to the point where I was holding off to try to see it in a theater. Uh, it did not work out, uh, and I've watched both times uh, at, my, at home on a projector. It was nice and big, and it sounded good and great. Um, so I didn't get the chance to do that. Patrick, you saw it in the theater? Yeah, I. so as soon as the... Uh, the the trailer dropped and you know had its release date uh, because I knew I usually like go home to my parents for Christmas on like December twenty first and the movie came out on the twenty second and I just texted my sister I was like hey uh, just you know you have no say in the matter we're going to see the Matrix <laughs> together uh, like at first showing opening day and she was like okay cool <laughs> and uh, that's what we did nice I bought the tickets the minute they went online and uh, yeah saw it in a theater. And the two other times I've watched it were on HBO Max. Right. Were was it crowded in the theater? Um, it was like maybe half. Well, I saw it in my hometown, which right. uh, honestly, like I have seen. It, I can never. Whenever I go to the movies there, I can never predict what it's going to be like. Uh, especially because this is like a new theater that opened there, like maybe five or six years ago. Mm-hmm. Um, but like I've I've. I've seen like a new Fast and Furious movie like opening night to have like I don't know a 20% full screening when the movie you know makes like a hundred million dollars that weekend right. and I was like I don't know what the deal is yeah. so uh, it was like half full I will say as someone who I see I go to the movies a lot here in the city mm-hmm. uh, I very rarely have bad theater experiences or like bad audiences i know plenty of people you know you, you'll hear we've them talked say, about it yeah yeah you know say like i hate going to the movies people are always making phone calls and stuff like that maybe i just get lucky and have good audiences uh this time uh not a great well i mean it was mostly one person in front of me just 
took their phone out every 15 minutes or so just to like text or whatever. And then two people sitting like a row or two behind me just talked for the entire movie. And it, and, and it like, and I discovered at the end, I assumed it was like two dudes in their 20s. Apparently it was like, uh, a dad and his son. The dad Ugh. looked like he was like in his fifties or whatever. But like the first thing was the like the opening like the Warner Brothers logo was coming up, and I hear one of them say, "My expectations could not be any lower for this." <laughs> and I was like, "They're not even excited talking. They like don't even really want to see the movie." Just- and yet, and yet they just and, and it was just like I hate these people. I but was furious. The, these are the at people that, point, that you want to talk to at the end of the movie to see what their, whether their low expectations uh, were met, right? That's the thing. I couldn't even tell. Also, I was like, I mean, I I was genuinely concerned at the end of the movie just being like, you know, uh, fuck you guys. Uh, you're pieces of shit. You talked through that whole movie. I hope you die. See, right. um, now, I thought the, about it, but then also they they left immediately mm. when the credits hit, and I stayed till the end of the credits. And so. Now, the only way I feel like that would have been appropriate would be if the Merovingian himself came out and said that to them and the phone person. Then it would have all connected. Uh, well, I'll tell you one more connecting thing that was one of my favorite things this week, which was that Paul F. Tompkins, uh, who's often on comedy, bang, bang, fantastic comedian, was live tweeting his experience experience of watching the matrix oh nice and i think he uh without getting too far into my expectations and and no let's get into those things the matrix he was basically saying look the matrix is this thing that happened i know is a phenomenon but it's not something that i am like radically invested in and hadn't he like not seen two and three yeah i think he had well he was like have i seen two and three i barely remember them i maybe i did (laughs) and his twitter thread is great because he's just trying to go through moments but there i i i almost dropped my phone when he was like who the fuck is this guy and it was like as a picture of the merovingian and i was like you know what I think that is a complete appropriate response. To and that why did because, he steal Harley Quinn's clothes? <laughs> because we are, we all have this sort of thing, which is like, oh, it's the Mirror of Angel. Even me, who's not that invested in these in this trilogy, is like, oh, that's that that, that guy. But for someone who's watching this and be like, who the fuck is this guy? And why the fuck should I care? You know, it's just this guy like pops up. It's a crazy guy on the subway yelling for like five minutes, and you're like, a thick French accent. I turned on the subtitles so I could understand what he was saying because I did not get it the first time. But it's like Uh, I I was like, we're all Paul F. Tompkins in this moment, you know. I except, I mean, my thing was Merovingian shows up. I am laughing hysterically because I'm also thinking. 80% 80% of the people watching this scene are going to be like, what the fuck is happening? Yeah. Who is this guy? This is like, this is a scene for me. Because yeah. Smith only references him once and he says Merv. Which is a thing Trinity only says once in Reloaded. Yeah. It's not like a nickname everyone calls him. It's like, because again, to, to kind of <laughs> dip our toe into some actual story details, yeah, yeah, yeah. because this is a, the, the, the matrix of this movie is a world in which everyone is familiar with the original trilogy. Uh, so it's really as if Smith, you know, I guess played the games as like, oh, I like I like that part where Trinity calls him Merv. I'm going to do that now. Right. Yeah. That's I, it. I, it. What I want to know is in the video game, do they have the famous shot from the Reloaded where the Merovingian gives the orgasm the or- cake to the uh, random person? Is that, that in the Of game? course. That feels like a real, that feels like a pure 2002 video game moment, one <laughs> trillion percent. I mean, I, uh, like, we're not uh, like, like like with the information we're given, and uh, I feel like every single thing that's mm-hmm. in those first three movies yes. is there in the trilogy of resurrections. Right, and so orgasm cake, 
you know, the the, the, ghosts, the train man, yeah, train man, train man, the ghosts, uh, the, is the, the weird. An, now, is the Animatrix and the uh, what was the video game? Enter that we the Matrix. To Enter the Matrix. About, well, uh, uh, the first game is Enter the Matrix. Then there was, there was Matrix, Matrix Path of Neo yeah. and Matrix Online. Yeah, I played I played Enter and I played some of Path of Neo. I never played Matrix Online. I I never played Online or Path of Neo, but I will say uh, I don't. There is there's a a cut scene in Path of Neo mm. that is in which the Wachowskis up actually appear as themselves. Are you guys familiar with this? No. I've read about it, yeah. It's I've, it's on YouTube. Yeah. I, uh, I I recommend checking it out because it's wild. Mm. So there's a part, I think during the climax, where things are getting like really abstract and confusing, and then suddenly it cuts to, so you know, the constructs, the white void. Yeah. And then there's the two, the two armchairs, the leather armchairs, and then little like eight bit, maybe not even, maybe almost four bit, Ver, like people walk in and hop down in in the chairs, and they are literally voiced by the Wachowskis as themselves, and they start explaining the full. It's like a joke, <laughs> but they start explaining the philosophy of what's happening. What? And then it starts like the 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 uh, audio gets played faster and faster and faster until you like can't hear what they're saying anymore. It is so they wow. were the architect so, of that game. They were the architect of that game, but also like, look, they've been doing weird metatextual stuff since way back then. They they have in yeah. inserted themselves into one of their games. Yeah, and, so. and I believe there sense. was a theory that they. I, I know this was part of the sort of initial ideas with the Matrix was that part the game canon, and I believe there is this actually does happen either in into the of uh, the. Uh, whatever the Neo game is, is that uh, Jada Pinkett Smith's character, we see what happens to her between movie two and three in well, the Well, that's game. Enter. Oh, that's oh, Enter the Matrix. Oh. So, yeah, so so that is, so Enter, oh my, okay, so <laughs> I'll, I'm going to try to give the, the condensed <laughs> explanation of this. I will say, if I may do some shameless self-promotion. Of course. Uh, a few years ago, I, I I wrote an article about this exact thing for Polygon. Right. Uh, about how, so like essentially the Matrix sequels were like the, the, the most ambitious like transmedia storytelling experiment anyone's ever done. Mm-hmm. And no one's ever going to attempt anything quite like that again uh, because, I, yes. I believe Peter, there was a conversation about Peter Greenaway having d- tried uh, and maybe unsuccessfully <laughs> Uh, done something similar. Oh, Peter Greenaway. <laughs> uh, uh, so I'm I, I'm not trying. Sure my I'm, cook I'm, thief and lover stands in the in the audience are, 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 are getting excited about that one. Yeah. <laughs> two notes. Everyone's just like, just talk about the draftsman contract for an hour. Um, uh, a movie I watched in college and did yeah. not like. Um, but I'm trying I, to get so, Matt to watch uh, Cook Thief and Her Lover right now. But it's not happening. It'll look. I'll do them all. I, you gotta give me some time. Yeah, but, but, but anyway, the power of the sorry, dog is higher priority. Um, so basically, um, you know, the Matrix. The first movie was uh, a, you know, it, it was a cultural phenomenon. It like, it was like a, a like a turning point in mainstream Western cinema, or even just just, just world cinema. Mm. It it is like it is one. I'd say the Matrix is pro, is, you know, quite possibly the the most influential movie of the past twenty five years. Um, yeah. And so yeah, I, I it, wouldn't uh, I. If you made that argument, I would feel that there is validity to to that argument, whether I agree with it or not. Yeah, yeah. it's so it was a it was a very big deal, yeah. and so obviously Warner Brothers, you know, like backed up the money truck to the Wachowskis and said, 
uh, make more of this, do whatever you want. And they seized that opportunity, uh, maybe got a little overly ambitious, but said, not only will we make two giant sequels that we're going to shoot together, uh, where we have full creative control and no one can tell us what to do. And we're going to try to like, you know, revolutionize visual effects technology and do all of these things. But we're also going to make a video game uh, that contain that instead of regular animated cutscenes contains 40 minutes of just actual movie footage that we will write and direct along with the two sequels. And it will be part of the narrative uh, following like supporting characters from the movies. And so uh, and then also we will have a, a movie. We'll make the Animatrix. Yeah, a, Animatrix we'll get yeah. all in all our favorite like anime directors to a series of short films. Several uh, several of which are really vital to yeah. both the lore of of the Matrix and also one of them just straight up. You pretty much need to watch it to understand Reloaded. Yeah. And so basically, the thing about the sequels is that uh, if you were me. Uh, like 15 years old in 2003, following this really closely, then you got the perfect experience, which is on the internet, you watched Final Flight of the Osiris, the animatrix short that was released early, that was a prologue to Reloaded, then you saw Reloaded in theaters, then the following day you went to the store and bought the video game Enter the Matrix that then filled in all the gaps in the movie about what happened to Niobe and Ghost when they went off screen and then popped up again, and so then you got the full experience there. Yeah. Uh, but the problem is, if you watch Reloaded, you know, I don't know, 18 years later, then you then you might go, what happened to Niobe? Why is she not there? Wait a second. It sets up this big action scene, but then we but then it doesn't happen. And yeah. that's because it's you play it in the video game. Yeah. It's this weird thing that in the in like the the, the years since then especially with like Star Wars, uh they've like it's, it's like studios like l learned lessons from like here's how we can do stuff like that, but we will not make the extra material as essential yeah. to the story. It'll just be extra. But basically, that's the thing with Enter the Matrix. It is a sort of, and it's it's like on the the Blu-ray as a special feature. It is forty minutes of additional movie footage. Yeah, yeah. And, and I remember, I remember because the game itself was fine. Like I, I remember, not a even, great game. It, fun to hit the bullet time button and run on walls. A hundred percent. But that was kind of like once that got over, it was over. And I played through that entire thing because I wanted the content. Did you play uh, as both characters? Because there was also different footage depending. Yes. As in, they both made out with Monica Bellucci. Yes. Yep. It all depended. On, yes. 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 So, th so I, 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 I basically played that game to death to unlock all of the footage. Obviously, before we could just get it on a Blu-ray disc. So, so I do remember having that moment and I remember it was one of those things where you know I, I respected the not the game itself but the game of doing all this, tr this this sort of like connecting media around it but also I kind of to be perfectly honest resented it I was kind of like this is awesome why do I have to earn this I thought I just paid money to the movie theater and then I could see the movie and like I don't know. I, well, uh, I I think this was kind of governed by the Wachowskis' philosophy about what the Matrix was, which is that it's not just a um, an action adventure which you which you watch. It's th that they're making a commentary about the way the the shape of the world is turning in terms of you know literally the book they quote in their Simulacra and Simulation in terms of what is real, what is not, what is what do we participate in, what do we not participate in, and so so. 
I, I look. I, I we've had this conversation on on. This, I'm not that invested in the Matrix law. Oh, you're gonna and, be. You're gonna uh, be. Um, um, but but I, <laughs> I actually really that. respect that that thinking, which is that the the actual metatextual qualities are in line with the philosophical ideas of the movie. And here's what here's where we will actually at minute thirty six of this podcast start talking about the Matrix Resurrections because I feel like. All of that, weirdly enough, isn't the side content, the stuff of the before in this podcast, the side content we'd put in the uh, Only Movie Podcast video game. No, no, no. It's quintessential to the discussion that we will be having because some of the strengths I feel this movie um, exhibits is its ability to call out that history. Now, some, again, Patrick, even uh, to a tertiary point sort of that, that you made, if you didn't play Enter the Matrix, if you didn't know the stuff and then you went into Reloaded, especially years later, there's pro- there's you're like, huh? But having ingested all of this stuff in my past, I, th- I guess what my, my first thoughts of this movie was uh, much like the, the gentleman behind you in the, in, the, um, in the theater, while I would not do that in the theater, I did not have crazy high expectations for this. But I have to say, I've thought about this movie way more than a, a bunch of films this year. It is such a beautiful, terrible, wonderful, awful, odd duck that I cannot stop thinking about this fucking movie <laughs> and what it means. Not only like the lore and the shit that happens with the characters, but like what it and means and for media your new friend Sabebe. What was that? Yeah, and your new best friend Sabebe. I do. Oh wait, wait. Which one's Sabebe? The bird? No, no. Uh, no Sabebe is a uh, the sentinel. Is is the one that like picks up Neo out of the pot? Right, right, right. As long as it's not fucking oh the one with the, the number eight in its goddamn name, the one that looks like a transformer, the baby one. Oh, um, oh, oh God! I. For, no, the bird I liked. The bird is um. The yeah. bird was um, Kujaku. Kujaku, thank you very much. Oh, what the fuck was that shitty goddamn transformer? L- Luminate. Luminate with the number eight and they fist bump and I wanted to fucking <laughs> die. But no, that's minor spoilers. There's a transformer. We're, I think in the we're, movie. we're jumping into spoilers. Huh? Sure, there, there's sure. no way to really. Who is listening to this episode and who, who's like, well, you know. Uh, I'm on the fence. I'm on the fence. I, like, I really want to listen to the episode, but I I don't want to know any plot details <laughs> about the movie. <laughs> you make a good point. Um, so Matt, you enjoyed it. I I. Hmm. <laughs> yes. No. Yes. I did enjoy it, but I en- I I have reveled in the delight of the wondrous seesaw in my mind that this movie has created. I am questioning my taste. (laughs) I am questioning how I view media in general. I'm questioning the the landscape of of this style of movie, and by this style I just sort of mean like sci-fi action movies in general. Like, Hmm. and no other film, dare I say, since the original Matrix has ever gotten Wait, me to do that. in 20 years of film. In, for this have... particular genre. This is what I'm saying. The, the 1999 Matrix reinvented this genre and just literally, as you said, Patrick, could be considered one of the most influential things in the last 20 years in, in, this, in, this, in cinema and in this genre. Not that this movie, in my opinion, is as clinically good as that movie, uh, as the original Matrix, but it's gotten me thinking just as much. Granted, I actually wrote down sort of the history of like 
my thought with this movie. As a teen, it was all about the action and guns, right? In the 1999 Matrix. I, uh, as, as everyone's favorite character in this movie, Jude, would put it, <laughs> bullet time. Yeah, 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 right? I, so I was Jude in when I was like 14 or whatever. Uh, who we all were. Yeah. yeah. Then in college, yeah. it was more about the philosophy because I thought I was smart. Uh, and then as, as like a, a further adult, it was all about sort of the craft of filmmaking and like, holy shit, how they did all this stuff. And now in, I'm creeping up. I'm creeping up on 40, y'all. Um, it is about painful, blatant honesty. And that's what this fucking movie gave me. And I didn't expect to enjoy the seesaw of it all as much as I did. Um, who wants to go next? I have too much to talk about with this fucking thing. Here you go. Uh, yeah, I think I want to give Patrick uh, the lion's share of time here, which is to, to say, look, I, I'm not, uh, I have never been quite that invested in The Matrix. I've said that a few times now. Um, it, just for the reasons of like, I, I never got quite into the guns, lots of guns kind of thing. Um, and though I admire, like, uh, I... Patrick, I listened to the uh, the film cast episode where I think you mentioned that you will watch scenes from Reloaded uh, and Revolutions just kind of as a pure ballet, uh, you know, just the pure sort of um, what is the sequencing here? And I and I yeah. I am the same way, which is that I'm always happy to watch the, the the highway chase scene and just kind of just watch how that thing is constructed from beat to beat and how it kind of gets bigger and bigger. And I think and I, I think all that stuff is really wonderful. I, the, the the actual sort of intricate philosophy of the matrix i found to be somewhat muddled in the first movie and then even more so in the second and third um so i was never like oh this is my thing so as far as expectations go them redo you know going back to the matrix for me is not like important you know like i'm not like right. i'm not like hell bent on seeing this thing um I, I will say just in terms of uh my interest of of the wachowskis and what they where their filmmaking journey has has taken them um i think first off their um this sort of growing bond with tom twyka with tom twyka who directed i, I, Run, I, I Run. think tickver tick tickver is, is that how you say it i think that's um, it and who co-directed uh, cloud atlas for them and and scored this um i think is is like i'm i'm just you know very excited by his uh involvement in this um and and i think to me cloud atlas was a much more um a much richer pool of, of of the types of films that I think the Wachowskis really wanted to make, and that's a film that that I never thought should work, but completely does by the end of it. Where I, I was like, I was like, I can't quite believe I'm won over by this whole thing. Like the true true really hit me me in that movie. Um, so 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 to to preface all that, going back to the Matrix again, which I often find is one of the slightly lesser least less interesting films in there well for me it was like yeah you know i think the meta narrative qualities of this are you know like um are an interesting take on this particularly in in you know sort of the the nostalgia driven ip world that we live in right now uh we talked a little bit about this in our in our west side story discussion i'm mm. sure uh you probably had this discussion in relation to spider-man uh which i haven't seen uh, but in general, the way Marvel, you know, tends to uh, to, to 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 sort of uh, cannibalize nostalgia within their own universe, um, let alone you know like the actual nostalgia of cinema of cinema history before that. So I think what what the what what Lana Wachowski was doing in this film is really interesting and admirable. I I did find um, a lot of the sort of 
uh, in game, you know, there's a game in this world that is the Matrix, and we're going to redo it, and we're going to be talking about Bullet Time. I did find it a little clunky and a little like too winky to sort of really be pleasurable. Um, and, 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 you know, like I, I wouldn't say, put it this way. My wife was like 20 minutes deep into this movie. And she was like, there's nothing in this for me. I'm out. <laughs> and I was like, and I was like, like, like with Paul L. Tompkins, I was like, you know what? I, I, I'm not going to try and I'm not going to force this on you. Like I, I get it. Um, so, um, my, my sort of bigger takeaway has to do with, I admire this movie more than I enjoy it which is that I admire what it's trying to do. I admire the take on this. I feel like there's a quality to this movie that we should talk about in terms of the execution of action sequences that is systemic of how I feel about the whole movie, which is not that the... like. There's this question that's been going around on the internet, which is that the action sequences in this movie are don't live up to um, the first three movies in any way, shape, or form. And then there's this sort mm-hmm. of like yeah. um, counter-argument that has been coming through, which is that that, that is by design. And whether you believe that or not is one thing. But however, my issue is that it, whether by design or not, everything feels rushed and everything feels like this was 10 ideas thrown at the wall. Here's five of them done to some extent. Here's five more that we're kind of like somewhat interested in. It just, it all feels a little bit rushed to me. And I and I thought about, you know, sort of comparative examples of films that delve into nostalgia and yet repurpose what the nostalgia is to create something new. And I this is a film which I don't think quite gets to that level of profundity. Uh, but, you know, like the most obvious example is Into the Spider-Verse, which I think re, remixes its nostalgia and creates something new. It's based on a new property, but it does it really well. And I think, and that does doesn't feel, you know, all that sort of design to it feels intentional, whereas this didn't hit me in the same way. Um, But there's, you know, there's a lot to like about this. And I don't want to like, you know, uh, I I think the phrase that's come is like, yuck, anybody's yum. I I think that's your favorite thing. It's it's if if oddly, the other film I thought about in terms of something that I am really invested in or was invested in was Trainspotting. Uh, Danny Boyle's film, which which is a film that I you know like that that is a you know uh, an important film in my uh, in my growing up as a filmmaker, um, and then Danny Boyle re, you know like went back to the well and did a sequel, and the sequel didn't really resonate with me. It doesn't detract from the originals, and it doesn't like take away my experience of the original. In fact, what I think I said about Transporting T two is that it it serves as an, as an interesting footnote to the rest of the series, uh, to the rest to to the other film, and and I feel the same way about this, which is that I feel it's a little clunky, but it serves as an interesting footnote to this. And I, I the part of me that kind of goes, I could, I would happily sort of accept this in the same world as like the Animatrix or something like that, where it's like this other story going on in there. I have no vested interest in continuing this. I'm not mad at this film. Like people seem to be angry about this thing. I was like, yeah, which is it's, weird. It's just you know, t- take it or leave it. You know, that's that's where I come from on this thing. All right, Patrick. Okay. Uh. So all right, wh- where to even begin with this okay uh so i i guess i i should okay you know i'll go back to where it all started i'll go back to the matrix right. um so just like you know cards on the table the first matrix is my favorite movie of all time right it is like like gun to my head that is my favorite it is the movie that got me into like interested in filmmaking uh, it is the movie that I have seen more times than any other film ever made. Um, 
you know, I was I did not see it in theaters because it was rated R and I was in fifth grade when it came out. But uh, I convinced my parents to to rent it. Uh, and on VHS, when oh, I, I was you like, said rent the theater. Oh, <laughs> that would have been no, rent no, that no. theater. <laughs> that that was not the day of like AMC hundred fifty dollar private theater rentals. <laughs> no, it was not. Uh, no, we rented on VHS. Uh, as an eleven year old, it was just straight up the greatest. Like I, I, I also like hadn't even really seen a trailer. It just it like, you know, I mean. It, it, it impacted me the way it impacted millions of people. It was like the biggest thing in the world. And um and so and 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 obviously on like the very very like base level for many years, you know, when I'm like in middle school or whatever, it's that it's it's cool and it looks cool and it sounds cool and there are guns and kung fu and it's just and it it was mostly like it the 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 surface level pleasures mm. that yeah. I th- that I was like getting off on, and then you know when I I was like I think fifteen when the sequels came out, and um and I like I was fully like in the tank for them. I genuinely loved Reloaded when it came out. A lot of people did not. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I I'm not saying I I got all of it, but it was mostly like it was new Matrix, and it was like it gave me a lot of the. The stuff I wanted from the Matrix, which is, uh, you know, cool action and cool looking stuff and, you know, it expanded the lore and stuff like that. But then also there were like interesting, weird new ideas that I didn't fully grasp, but that seemed like – but that, they made me think. And then Revolutions, I – I feel like I was in this, this mode where I was just like, if I was hyped for something, I would convince myself that I really liked it. Sure, I've I like been there. I couldn't be disappointed. But Revolutions, I saw it once, and I was like, I I think I, I yeah I, I think I really liked it. And then I just didn't watch it again in theaters. Like I saw it reloaded <laughs> twice in theaters. Didn't see Revolutions again. And then I felt like then because the general public, well, not just like audiences and critics, like so disliked Revolutions that suddenly. The Matrix went from something that had dominated like public consciousness and was like so influential. It went out of style and went out of the conversation so quickly. Mm-hmm. And then basically the Matrix just kind of went away for years. People weren't talking about it. It, it like, you know, I mean, bullet time was that thing that was parried in Shrek. And so like that was played out and yeah. all of that. And so, but then that said, and then I was like, when I, you know, was in college and, uh, and like, you know, starting to be slightly less dumb about movies and like, you know, I was like a cinema studies major and stuff like that. I started to finally, despite seeing The Matrix a million times, get more interested in the Wachowskis as filmmakers. And a big thing for me is like I I saw Speed Racer opening night in theaters nice. and – in a mostly empty theater. And uh, many of my friends that I was like, guys, want to go see Speed Race? And they were like, that looks like a stupid child's cartoon. It has like a 30% of Rotten Tomatoes. No. And uh, anyway, uh, I... it uh, I, I, I loved Speed Racer when I saw it in theaters. I love it today. and And I feel like that was... That really kind of altered my thinking about the Wachowskis. Because it's like... Everyone wanted them to just kind of do, oh, make something that looks like the Matrix, except it's it's Speed Racer, and they didn't do that. Yeah, uh, they, you know, it is stylistically radically different than literally everything ever. Mm-hmm. Um, 
It is aggressively its own thing, but it's also an ex- they, they used that IP to make an extremely personal movie about trying to make personal art within a capitalist system. And this was really the point where it's like, I, I think the really key thing here is because and I will get to Resurrections, but I really think that talking about Resurrections, it's like you really have to talk about the arc of the Wachowskis as filmmakers mm. uh, because I feel like a lot of the people, especially who are mad at Resurrections, are uh, completely ignoring the, the the last like 20 plus years of uh, of like their evolution. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, and so, but the, the, a really key thing is that the first Matrix is literally the only time that what the Wachowskis were doing happened to... Uh, click with the ma- with the general public. Yeah. That was the one time yeah. that what they were doing was cool and accessible, and everyone liked it. Every single thing they've done since, since then. Yeah. No, uh, if they were doing like big budget stuff, uh, it was largely hated by like half the audience. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, and, and, and like, where's the five percent of people that love Jupiter Ascended? <laughs> like, right as in, exactly. <laughs> and I will say, like, I don't. I don't love Jupiter Ascending. It's one of my least favorite Wachowski things. I do like still have fun with it. And I, I, I like I respect the hell out of everything the Wachowskis have done. Yeah. And I have found their growth so interesting. And and also they've become especially like, you know, you know, through their, you know, both of them like transitioning and stuff like that. They became a lot more like kind of like like they like they really wear their hearts on their sleeves in yeah. in like in their their work as it goes on in a way that like the first matrix does not. Mm-hmm. Uh, the first matrix is a very kind of like uh, emotionally reserved movie. Mm-hmm. Uh, it is very it's kind of like a in in each despite the fact that you know like the, the matrix does literally end with uh, Trinity kissing Neo and professing her love to him and like bringing him back to life with the power of love. A thing that people frequently ignore when they're, they're talking about the right. first movie. Uh, but like in general, like, you know, th- that is like a pretty, you know, yeah. c- kind of a cold, very cool movie. And so anyway, g- going through the Wachowskis and, and you can see like they're, especially I feel like when with Cloud Atlas, when they uh, hooked up with John Toll, uh, mm. the cinematographer on everything they made from, from there on out, including he shot every episode of sense eight. Yeah. Uh, their whole approach to filmmaking changed a lot. I know there's that quote that's gone around. I I read it on the uh, the film cast of uh, Jonathan Groff uh, explaining how Lana Wachowski ex- uh, explained to him like her evolution, like the way her approach to filmmaking changed and became more improvisational. Uh, like after she transitioned and kind of like became like you know who she like felt more comfortable as herself, and uh, and so it went from like the as much as I adore the super like hyper storyboarded ultra precise ultra stylized uh look of of the the first movie in particular that is you know like that is my like again the first matrix is is my favorite movie it's my favorite wachowski movie i love the look of that and but that said i think it is really both unfair and unrealistic to expect that a new Matrix movie in 2021 is going to just give you exactly the same surface level pleasures that the first movie did because um, A, the Wachowskis have never been interested in repeating themselves. Uh, B, 
Uh, that is not remotely who Lana Wachowski is as a person or a filmmaker anymore. And so I think you, I mean, this goes for literally every movie ever. This is not just this movie, but like you really need to meet this movie on its level and, uh, and, and, and look at what it's trying to do, not what you are demanding that it do. And here's an interesting side note. Yes, to please, all of please that. someone else talk for no, a moment. No, 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 no. But, but I, I, I'm going to yes and this very hard because so many times when we get either nostalgia fuel or the next Marvel movie or whatever comes out, the advertising for the thing makes you, it, its goal seems to be hype you up the same way that the thing that it's hearkening to, like to give the audience like, you're gonna get more of the thing you like. And everyone's like, yay. And whether or not that happens, whatever. I noticed a lot with this film in particular, and I didn't I don't know if it's because of the pandemic or its release on HBO Max or however or maybe maybe even just Lana how how she wanted to actually have this thing come out into the world. I never got the vibe from the advertising, from the marketing, that this was going to be like the original Matrix. It never lied to me. Like the experience, I was never, I was never told by anybody that like you're going even like it's funny. Even when Groff goes back to the Matrix, like mm -hmm. the fact that they did that, I was like, oh, this is a new thing. I'm not like like they're literally calling out the thing that everyone like says they want, but no one actually fucking wants that. If people want to watch the Matrix, they can go watch the fucking Matrix. Well, so here's the thing. Um, I will say to 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 kind of like finish this narrative and just catch us up to like when I watched the movie. I will say I was a little surprised when the first trailer came out just looking at it because I, I'd been wondering like having seen all the Wachowski stuff like over the years, I was like, what will this look like? Mm. And it was, it, it, you know, it was a little surprising actually to watch that trailer because uh, I was like, like when I sat down to watch, you know, I I, I, I I was there at my computer refreshing the page before it like came <laughs> online. And um, and it is a little startling at first, especially if you've seen the original movies a million times, that like the visual language is completely different. Mm -hmm. It is, which is not what franchise reboots tend to do. They tend to just be like upgraded, cooler versions of the aesthetic you're used to. The... Uh, the the color palette is completely different. It is like the green tint is gone. Suddenly it's like really saturated like sunrises and sunsets, like all these like golden hues, like 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 bright natural sunlight. The framing is not super precise. It's a lot of like handheld cameras and stuff like that. It's a it's this very ag like aggressively digital cinematography. And uh it does not look like as much as at times in the trailer they would like you know, deliberately, like, recreate images from, like, especially the first movie, it doesn't look like the Matrix we remember. And so this kind of began my process of, like, thinking, like, okay, what do I want this to be? And what do I think this is going to be? And real and, and this is where I want to talk about the the version of the movie that they didn't make. Okay. Uh, the Zach Penn version. The Zach, the, the Zach Penn version. Um, so, and, 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 the, the theoretical Zach Penn version is probably just one of many potential versions. I bet you there's a ton of spec well, scripts he, out for he what went, uh, he's he's talked about the fact that there are two parallel um, uh, movie, Matrix movies in development, one by him, one that the uh, that Lana Wachowski was writing and directing with David Mitchell. And I think in his words, um, both are running parallel. Neither are reboots. And so 
the the Zach Penn version could materialize at some point. It could. And, and just, just, just I, this is my favorite thing as well yes. before, is that Zach Penn did pin, did pin, did write one of the best metatextual action movies of all time, which is The Last Action Hero. Yes. So, so I, I'm like, I, there, there's nothing to that, but I just want to say that if we're talking about metatextual action movies being successfully both uh, nostalgic and reinventing their genre and doing it really well... And Zach Penn has somehow become the villain in this narrative about like the alternative version that was going to be made. So the, the Wachowskis kind of stepped in and decided to make their version. I will say Zach Penn did write one of the greatest metatextual action movies of all time. He did. I will say the thing that there's no way to know for sure. Yeah. The thing that I do always wonder about with Last Action Hero is um, I think Zach Penn did the original draft and then Shane Black rewrote it. Right. And I always wondered. Ah. Which stuff goes to which of them? Right, but and uh, a lot of it feels Shane Black-ish. It is. It, it it's one of those. As, as someone who I just made a video recently about a Shane Black movie, and I didn't include Last Action Hero when talking about his other movies because I'm just like that. It's it's not. I don't consider that part of like necessarily the canon because that's not what if it, he didn't originate that. Yeah. yeah. And um, but I do. I I wouldn't be surprised just looking at like how I feel about their other work. Uh, obviously, the original idea, which is great, I think came from Zach Penn. I wouldn't be surprised if a lot of the stuff that I like in that movie is from Shane Black. Mm. But it's hard. It's hard to gauge. It's hard we'll to ne- sense. We'll uh, never know. We'll never know. But so, so here's the thing, um, because I think when we when you talk about resurrections, you there's no two ways about it. We have to talk about the the, the current landscape of like. IP-driven franchise filmmaking in Hollywood, and and the, uh, the there are points of comparison that I think have to be drawn here, because I think this is uh, like the Matrix Resurrections is a is a uh, legacy sequel to use yeah. the term coined by Matt, Matt Singer, Singer yeah. uh, and so it you know it it is the one where it is a sequel that comes like you know more than a decade after the original but uh pick continues the original story uh brings back original cast members now older also with a new generation uh of younger characters there usually the intent being well uh this way we can uh this movie will play to new younger fans who maybe haven't seen the originals who will latch onto the young new characters but then will it also appease their parents uh who liked the original movies and I'll be happy to see their old friends back and this way like you know the return the elder statesman characters can kind of uh can, can validate this uh because they've agreed to appear and it's in, and and it's canon but then you know pass the reins over to this new generation and this franchise can continue to run forever and make the studio money forever matt you want to say something has it ever worked yeah um, well okay so the i think the i'm just curious i, I, guess, I, I mean maybe no, no, here's the thing the qu- the the kind of the I guess f- from a studio perspective, I think the perfect example of this, the ult- like the, the one that everyone that especially every studio had wants is the Force Awakens. Right. It feels yeah. like, that does feel like the perfect sort of uh, uh, vortex of what you've just described. That that is it. Uh, there have been many versions. Tron Legacy is one of these. You know, I do love Tron Legacy. Uh, I love. Like 
I love the way it looks. I, and I, I love, love the way it, way it sounds. sounds. Yeah. Yep. The, the Daft Punk soundtrack is amazing. But uh, exactly. And they're the best bartenders. Or were they performing in that? No, they're, they're the DJs. They're the DJs. Yeah. yeah. But I. Uh, but you got Tron Legacy, Blade Runner twenty forty nine, kind of as that. Even though I don't think that really had much of an interest in, in having more sequels. Uh, I. I. Uh, Ghostbusters Afterlife is the latest version, yeah. which um. I've not seen. I'm. I'm. Well, I'm, uh, I'm. I'm gonna bring it up again because I have things to say about it, okay. and, and it's and it, it's relevant. But the Force Awakens is kind of the perfect version of this because the whole with that you know the whole pitch of that like the way it was sold and everything because especially this is coming after the Star Wars prequels which made a lot of money but that a lot of the original fans were not really into had a very mixed kind of like Matrix sequels had a kind of very mixed reception uh, with the general public and like the modus operandi for The Force Awakens was Forget about the prequels. It is going to look and feel exactly like the Star Wars you love and remember. Here is nothing but f- familiar imagery. The uh, the old friends th- that you remember, don't worry, they're back. Han Solo is going to say, Chewie, we're home. Uh, it's all of that stuff. And then you look at The Force Awakens, and it is it is a movie that I enjoy, that I especially the first time in theaters had, an, had a great time with, mm-hmm. that uh, for me has become um, a little bit emptier on mm-hmm. subsequent viewings. Uh, but it is pretty much a beat-for-beat beat remake of the first Star Wars movie. It is, it really doesn't, I mean, some of the new protagonists are like new character types for, for that series, but... Essentially, it is delivering like it's it's just the the dopamine hits of nostalgia. It is just the familiar. It's it basically it's like exactly how you remembered it. Nothing has changed, and I I think that is the kind of thing that a lot of these are trying to be. Ghostbusters Afterlife is absolutely just trying to graft the Force Awakens onto Ghostbusters. And a key part of, I think, this thing with Lego sequels is it wants to validate the fans who had invested so many years of their lives into caring about this and reward their commitment and their care. Like, the thing that is... I did not like Ghostbusters Afterlife. Mm-hmm. I do not think it's a good movie. It depressed me, actually. But... Dang. A thing... So, the original Ghostbusters is... I'm, by the way, I'm so sorry for just monologuing no, 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 no. forever. We were, I, I think... What we're hoping to get here is a sort of a uh, a bigger analysis of like where this sits against the entire IP driven landscape that we live in now. Because as you mentioned, like this is it, while in my mind uh, the Matrix Resurrections <laughs> owes more to Don Quixote than it does to action filmmaking. Uh, at, at this point, this is the world of these movies is not one where a studio gives up. 190 million dollars in order to make Don Quixote or as Terry Gilliam found out just a few years ago until Uh, now but but uh, so so in many ways um, I think one of the things for me is the Lego the the Lego sequel parts of this movie which is which is where we get this sense that there is that this is an action movie right like we're, we're suddenly in this sort of hallway that we don't really understand the Moravian guy pops up and there's like a fight sequence and it's staged very poorly is meant to i think in some way is a subversive take on what that scene is supposed to represent in the studio's mind well it's sort of, okay so um kind of okay. I, I, l- 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 let me okay 
let me just tie this back into because I I, I want to bring this back to like to get to the Zach Penn one. Right. So, but I feel like we have to like lay the groundwork for like the legacy sequels and like what studios expect these to be and also what general audiences mm. expect these things to be. And uh, and 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 so the there was like there was the distinct chance that we were go- that instead of this movie existing, there was all as this movie is. So it just comes straight out and says there was always going to be another Matrix movie. It is too valuable an intellectual property uh, for Warner Brothers to just let it lay dormant forever. It was always going to come back in the way that everything these days always comes back. Uh, nothing is dead forever. And I feel like the most likely version of this was the theater, a theoretical Zach Penn one, which – you know, we don't actually know what that movie was about. Uh, just that it would have been set within the universe. It would have continued the story and been in continuity with with, with the others. And I would bet $100 that it probably would have very much done a Force Awakens type thing of being like, I know that the, the sequels were, you know, you had a, like kind of a tough time with them and they were like, you know, you may not have been crazy about them, but we're not really going to talk too much about them. We're basically going to make a movie that largely looks and feels just like the the original movie. It has the green tint. It has, you know, really cool, slick action and kung fu. It is, uh, you know, it, it, it's got your, like, you know, electronic industrial metal soundtrack all of that stuff. We'll update some stuff with like some new visual effects, but basically we will give you the matrix that you remember. And I will be the first to admit that <laughs> I that I, I would have seen it. And you know what? I probably would have enjoyed it. Yeah. But that said, I think, you know, kind of like a lot of these movies, after a couple days, I probably wouldn't have thought about it that yeah. much anymore. It would have given me it would have been very familiar and given me the, the those easy like you know pleasure hits of like ah yes this is that thing that I know that I like and it's doing the stuff I expect it to and I like the way that feels and then that probably that kind of would have been the end of it because I think what's so interesting about this movie in the landscape of other legacy sequels and like just like IP franchises is that this is one of the only one of these movies where the original creator was actually able to come back and do another one of these. It is not like, you know, it is not J.J. Abrams being like, well, I don't know, I like Star Wars a lot, and let's make a movie about how I like Star Wars and about how Star Wars is good, and here's the stuff in it that I think is fun. Uh, this was like a, a ver- like, and especially like, if you, you know, all of the, you know, Marvel movies are not made by like, you know, all the St- same people. Stanley, well, but, but also it's it's not like Stanley and Jack Kirby and Steve Ditko are like working on those movies and stuff like that. Those are essentially those proper those things were taken away from their original creators like a million decades ago. Right. And so this is a very very rare opportunity. And and the thing is, Lana Wachowski has absolutely no fucking interest in just giving you, uh, especially if you're a person who only really likes the first Matrix, in giving you that again yep. and doing a Force Awakens for 
like for the Matrix, and especially has really no interest in just setting this up to continue for an like like forever, uh, you know, with another for, for like future generations, uh, because this movie, and I'm gonna pass the reins over momentarily. <laughs> I, I have I have a lot more stuff to say, yeah, yeah. but I, I I really think that to talk about this movie, we have to just like have like establish this just like you know this grounding and like there's the, a baseline yeah but, like but, th- this is this is the environment it's, it's coming out into and uh and we have a bottle of wine to kill and so we, we, we do have a bottle of wine to kill um but basically for me this movie is less a setup for like a new trilogy and i kind of read this as like kind of like a coda or an epilogue I, to mm. the series yeah and i i was gonna say in the subset of legacy sequels that matt singer uh who's over at screen crush i believe it is yeah uh who wrote about this and uh is, is a very smart writer about this i think they're uh, as you were talking i got very quiet because i started to think uh, that question that matt asked which is like when has this been successful and your res- response to the force awakens is a very good one because that is one i think we talked about on this show and i think i described as again not a person who's that vested in the star wars world was like this feels nice but i don't care um you know like it's, it's empty calories to me Right. Um, but there is a subset of, of films that I think uh, that could be subcategorized within the Liga sequel. And I, I'm going to call these um, playground conclusions for now, because this is what I'm thinking about. Okay, and, I'm very and, interested. And, and, and I think what this subset, where The Matrix Resurrections kind of feels like is a playground conclusion to... Um, to the Matrix trilogy, which is that the original owners, uh, the original creator has come back and has decided to, you know, like open up the playground here, but also definitively end it because they're. But also, they, they took their to. ball and they went home. And and well, I don't think that's. I don't think I. I don't think that there that the door is closed to more Matrix. I. The cool thing about like a playground conclusion is that it doesn't close the door to this opening again. It just closes that particular person's chapter. And the the thing that I think, um, the, where I thought about this is in a couple of films that we've discussed on this show, and one is Vince Gilligan's El Camino, which is a film that is ostensibly yeah. a playground conclusion to the Breaking Bad franchise. It's not required. It's very handsomely made. It's very beautifully made. And it I really kind of, liked that. It, it, Me too. It, it allows you to revisit the characters and the things that you were interested in, tell a new story with them, and then conclude it as though, okay, I'm done with this now. The other one was, uh, I think Toy Story 4 does this very well in terms of being yes. a playground conclusion. And I think Logan is probably one of the definitive playground conclusions in terms of like, hey, this is the character that you guys have been loving. This is the actor that we've been working on. Let's play with this and conform and what i love about that is that it allows you the opportunity to explore the world in a way that honors the original intent of the original film as opposed to regurgitating it in the case of the the legacy sequel and the force awakens what have you and conclude it in a way that says we are not just doing this for the sake of 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 printing money and keeping this going we're actually doing this for the sake of like finding an end to this story i will say the three examples that I that I mentioned are more satisfying to me in terms of being playground conclusions to that world. And one thing in the things that you just talked about, uh, Patrick, was I wasn't I, I heard a lot about how you approach this film and the context with which to approach this film. I wasn't quite clear if there was a but did I enjoy this as a fan of the original or as someone who actually enjoys 
you know, my cinematic experiences being what they are in terms of longevity or, you know, what have you. Would you, uh, sir, should I actually say what I thought of the movie? Yeah. <laughs> okay. I, so, um, I, I love the movie. Yeah. I, I, I do. And I think, and this is also be, because I, I talked about how excited I was for it, but I, I, I will admit, especially because like I'm, I'm very, I was very publicly excited for it. Like, mm. you know, people, like a lot, people who follow me on the internet know that I, I'm very invested in the matrix. Right. And I say that as, I have like kind of mixed feelings about the sequels. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I don't love the sequels. I like, I'm like kind of mixed to positive on both of them where it's <laughs> like, I have issues with the, I love what they're aiming for, and I love the ambition. I love a lot of stuff in them, and I really, I do really care about the world and and the characters and stuff like that. Um, and I just have some. I, I I wish the execution of them was as like excellent as it is in the first movie, but I but like I do like. You know, I was all for like, okay, give me more Merovingian. Give God, uh, tell me what happened in the real world. You know, w what is the human machine relationship like? Like, I, uh, you know, like I, I the, the the move reloaded poles of like, you know, like just and you know, blowing up and subverting the uh, the chosen one narrative. I I, I love it. I, I I love that stuff. So, but that so going into this one, and I I then I was relieved. I talked to some friends who saw the movie early, who were then like DMing me, and friends who like have similar feelings about these to me, and, and they're just like, it's great. I loved it. The general public is gonna hate it. <laughs> uh, it is. You know, uh, it you know, and and also I've been told like it's not even really interested in being an action movie, yeah. Um, things like that, and so I felt like I was like, I, I had an idea of then then what I like I, I realized that as much as I would have, I would have enjoyed a, a a slick rehash of the first Matrix. I really was was interested in to see to see like what is Lana Wachowski's relationship with this movie in in 2021 and with this franchise and what does she I was more interested in what she has to say than than just getting more of like like the matrix pleasure buttons. And on 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 the note of what she has to say, I I want to tie both that and Shahir's playground ending thing together. Yes. There is there is a triple bladed knife's edge that this movie rides that Resurrections rides. So on the playground ending thing, we, what were the list? There was sort of there was Logan, there was there was uh, Toy Story Four, Toy Story 4 and Camino. there was uh, and El Camino. Those are just the ones I can think of now. Oh no, no, and and I'm going to I'm going to trademark this great, phrase. No, no, they are great examples. They are great that, examples. That is, I Shahir, sir, I I I love this. Yeah. I'm I'm so glad we have a new grouping for these for like this it's type perfect. of movie. It's yeah. perfect, and I agree that this movie can fall into that. However, comma but. <laughs> There's a weird sort of element to this film that while I do believe Lana Wachowski wanted to make a film that that spoke to what she was feeling in this current day and age, there is also, and maybe I'm the only one that got this read, but unlike all those other playground ending movies, there's a real salting the earth quality to this film. And I know, look, I know that they'll probably make another Matrix something. It's too viable of a property. We've said this. But the fact that 
Again, all of these knives edges that we've been riding, Patrick, you and I are falling a little bit more on the positive side of this. Shahir, you're kind of like a meh, a little bit uh, sort of going through various sort of things, right? Yeah. Like, but I feel like the majority of audiences that I've read has either been kind of meh or like, oh my God, what the fuck is this? I mean, I I will say uh, my Twitter feed has been largely people who loved it. I'm just like, good. I I, I picked the right people to follow. There we go. So, but I guess, I guess my point is this. It's the movie she wanted to make knowing full well that it would hurt the viability of this property moving forward. I see that's the part I don't actually agree with. I think Which is fine. I, 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 I don't think, know if it's right. I don't even know if I fully agree with that. What I'm saying is I that that is a read that I, I kept coming back to and like I, I well the it, thing is, I, I think that there is um I think perhaps there's definitely uh, a sense of animosity to the misreading of the Matrix in this film. There's definitely the sense that we are on uh, Mr. Anderson's side in terms of how people are misreading the work that he has created right. and turning it into something else and then also trying to um, capitalize on its com- its commercial value as opposed to its philosophical value. But the knife's edge that I'm, that I'm sort of saying that it's riding here is the following. She made the movie that she wanted to make. And I'm not saying that she's not proud of this movie. I think she fucking is and she should be. My point is she also knew going in that it wasn't going to be the 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 huge capitalist boom for Warner Brothers that they no, probably and, wanted it to be. I, and, yeah. and I, I agree with that. But I, I don't – there's two things, which is that I don't think that that is a um, – uh, I think that is a feature, not a bug. You know, which is I, that I, I, no, I, agreed. And, I'm and, saying they did it on purpose. And, but I also don't think that this salts the earth for any future, um, you know, future uh, versions of this film. I think I think what this cleverly does in the sort of playground conclusion kind of idea is this wraps up the Neo and Trinity side of the story, and then says, you know, whatever else wants to ha- you need to happen in this world can happen. You know, like it doesn't definitively say this is the world and therefore these are the rules of that world. I think it just kind of goes, well, this is that story wrapped up. So uh, I, okay, I think there's a lot of interesting stuff that's been raised here because I, I think that I want to mention is there's a take that I, I have seen crop up online, mm. um, which is that this movie hates itself and doesn't want to exist. And, is, and I don't agree with that. And I, I think, again- Art is subjective. You can think whatever you want. I think that I do think that's wrong. Hmm. Um, I think this movie is angry about f- things. Yeah. I I think this movie is has complicated feelings about the reasons that it exists. Yeah. But I think this is actually a movie that is. Th- I feel a lot of like enthusiasm and like joy coming through with this. Right. Yeah. I feel like they they really enjoyed making this. This feels like a movie that wants to exist and. I, I, I find it to be a, a pretty optimistic movie. Mm. So so here's the thing um, that I think, th- to actually get into d- story details of the movie now, and I'm going to skip ahead to the second half of the movie. All right. Yeah. Because once we kind of like, when we finally learn what is happening in this movie, this is, in simplest terms, what has happened. Neo Eternity died at the end of Revolutions. Mm. This is a movie in which two dead people are straight up their corpses are reanimated they are like forced back into an existence for the sole purpose of powering 
what is basically a capitalist system. Mm. And I got to say, this coming out a month after, spoilers for Ghostbusters Afterlife, <laughs> that movie ghoulishly resurrects dead Harold Ramis for the purpose of passing a... Yeah, he, he shows up. He's, he's a CGI... Are you fucking kidding he's me? He's a CGI ghost. Yeah, for the purpose of, like, passing the reins of ghostbusting Fuck. onto a new generation. This is... Um, this and is, look... You know, like, Carrie, uh, Carrie Fisher was resurrected for... Um, for uh, Rogue One, for the, same, uh, for the same purpose. Exactly. And I mean, like, look, I, I had a really fun time at uh, Spider-Man No Way Home. Uh, I don't think it's a great artistic triumph, but I think it's like a, a successful, fun movie. But that's a movie where they, they take uh, characters who died in movies years ago, played by actors who fulfilled their contracts and were done playing those and resurrects them here mm. and brings in actors, you know, more actors who, again, wrapped up their series and were done and brings them back here, you know, mostly for the sake of doing some pretty, like, ingenious, like, IP maintenance yeah. and, like, you know, making sure that the brand that is Spider-Man is then, like, will then continue for, like, another you know, three decades or whatever. Like, and, and, and like, granted, it felt ghoulish in Ghostbusters. I was like, you know, I'm, I'm happy to see Alfred Molina, you know, yeah. pop up. But I again, Spider-Man into the, uh, the new one yet, by the way. I mean, but, but no, you know that Alfred Molina is in the movie. What? <laughs> <laughs> Didn't he die with the sun in Spider-Man 2? In the palm of his hand. It, it's true. <laughs> but like, but you know, again, and, and that movie came out less than a week before The Matrix. And, 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 you know, they were not like, you know, those characters, I was happy to see them. They were not brought back because John Watts had some like really personal like statement he wanted to make. They were brought back because Kevin Feige saw, oh, people liked Into the Spider-Verse. They like multiverse stuff. You know, and also people are nostalgic for those things. What if we throw all of these things together and make, you know, a fun but, you know, less artistically exciting version of Into the Spider-Verse, but those nostalgia hits are going to be so powerful that we'll make all the money in the world. Right. And again, I had a good time at the movie. But so that's basically what the premise of Resurrections is, that Neo and Trinity have been straight up resurrected by this system. And again, when the analyst reveals himself, the analyst in this, who is kind of taking the place of of the architect, um, he's basically the algorithm. Like yes. his thing is pretty much he is he's he's like studied the psychology of humans to such a perfect degree that he knows like the like the like the most like a uh, effective version of the matrix and the one that, that that creates the most energy, which could also be read as makes the most money, mm-hmm. is the one uh, the most engagement. Exactly, uh, the one that I, the way he puts it, where which is like to keep every like all all humans and it's like this like it's a, they're in a different state than than they were as like the drones uh, in offices of like the ninety nine movie, but now they're what is it? They are yearning for what they don't have and terrified of losing what they do. Yeah, and, and that's ninety nine percent of your species is what he says. Exactly, yeah. but but it's that, and it's and and you know he's brought you know the these dead people back to pretty much just keep recycling their story again and again and and uh and like and just keep doing that and the thing about this movie I, like as much as the movie is angry about certain th- things i like 
the thing, what I think is really interesting about this is that that is the reason that it exists. That is the reason the story that Neo and Trinity are alive again. It is, you know, that uh, the real world parallel of of that uh, of this thinking in the film industry is why this movie exists in the first place. And that said, um, do Neo and Trinity just like kill themselves again? And go, no, we want to be dead. No, they use this as an opportunity, and they're like, well, if this is why. We're going to exist. This is why we're going to be alive again. We're going to make the best of this. We're not just going to repeat the exact same things and hit like, you know, the same little like nostalgic pleasure buttons that you want. We are going to, you know, focus on the things that are really important to us, as in love yeah. here. And um, but also, you know, you know, do something new. We are going to like Use this nostalgia that you're obsessed with and this like this environment you've created to chart like a new way forward where it doesn't have to be the exact same thing again and again. Because at the end of this movie, the UN Trinity, they do not kill the analyst. They do not blow up the Matrix. They do not go to war against the machines. They're like, this is this is the system that is here, but we're going to kind of take control now and we're going to. We're gonna do what we we're gonna do new things. We're gonna paint the sky with rainbows. We're gonna do what 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 we want to do, and and that is one of the things that to me was like really moving about this. That it's like no, this movie is not like doesn't hate itself. It doesn't want to just no, be yeah. dead again. This is a movie that's like you know it it it, it understands the reality of, of why of, it exists of why it exists, and it's just like you know, like if we're gonna exist, we want to make something like you know that like unique and personal to us and 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 sort of sorry just to the to the point of the uh the no way home thing you're, you're right and i hadn't actually thought about that before we're bringing these dead characters back to life in that movie too but that movie is pure nostalgia button through and through like that's what it is they could have told another story with a different thing with spider-man and it would have been totally fine but that's the goal right like that's what they're doing here it's not only the it's it's the narrative is so intertwined with the goal and taking back what that goal could possibly mean for the filmmaker. That is what I am interested in in this thing. I've heard the take too that this movie hates itself. This movie loves itself. Yeah, like there's no question in my mind, and it should. Um, but I uh, but I also think that like there is this interesting thing. It's like. I don't know. I got a real vibe and I was, I don't know. I'm not, I can't be proud of it because it's not my work, but I was, I loved to see it that I was like, this is Lana Wachowski being like, this is my matrix story. This is what I'm doing with this now, by the way, this is what the matrix means. To this me. is what the matrix means to me. Ta-da! Like, and that to me, I, I think I sounded more harsh when I said sort of salt the earth for the thing, because what I mean by that is, yes, I think there's going to be making more Matrix movies. Well, this movie has uh, not made it, has not lit up the box but office. But here's the, that's yeah. sort of it, right? Like, because this, you even said it yourself, Patrick, the, the, the Wachowskis have not been, uh, their, their interests have not aligned with the public since 1999, mm -hmm. fully. I don't think Lana doesn't understand that. I think Lano's like, oh, you're going to pay me $190 million to make the Matrix movie I want to make? Cool, 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 cool. Like, that's what it, that's and, what and, it feels and, to me. I love it. And, and I think to me, that's the part that 
I I respect and admire of this movie more than anything is and the parts that I think actually really started to work was a um I think in terms of a real world analog the fact that this movie came out just a few months <laughs> after the Zuckerberg announcement of Facebook rebranding to the metaverse <laughs> and then the analysts kind of coming in and saying look what we've really discovered here is that we've got to give people hope and we've got to like align a world that allows them to you know as they say um yearn for something more but not fear what they lose in a virtual sense and I think and I think the, the the sort of the imagery that is potent in this movie is of the zombified hordes attacking the two characters and the and the individual characters in in uh, buildings above being taken over by um, by a sort of yearning for the past and turning into literal bombs against the people. It's not you know what I love is that, that was pretty and, disturbing and, and, and what I liked always it a, lot. a little bit of a problem with the with the Matrix and we talked about this in previous episodes is the guns lots of guns thing and I like that there's a very a, a sort of a conscious lack of that but instead what's weaponized is people's intentions and and people's actions towards yeah. the two main characters and I think you know the the sort of the clever idea here is the analyst reforming uh, the analyst the machines and humans being sort of coming together to, to form some sense of understanding between each other and where does Trinity and Neo fit within that greater universe you know I think all that stuff is really great and and in fact the part that I admire about this is thinking about another franchise entirely which has completely misread this even worse than Star Wars has and like like I think like as much as I you know like against the 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 the, the last three Star Wars films have not done anything for me I think at a very functional level they kind of do what they're supposed to do and whether you like that or not you know is whatever but another franchise that I think about a lot in terms of having a singular vi- creative auteur behind it who had something to say with this with that particular franchise said it and then for years probably a, even longer than the matrix has try at you know there has been many versions of this particular film tried to be made and tried to reiterate the story and failed almost uniformly every time is the terminator franchise because the oh, terminator franchise yeah. has has so Are you besmirching the good name of Dark Fate? I <laughs> Because I will throw the gauntlet right now. I don't well, love Dark you're not Fate. Throw, what? Yeah, throw I don't love far. Dark Fate. Yeah. I fucking dug Dark Fate. This is not going to be that podcast. Yeah. Uh, it's fine. That's but too I, down but the I road. The but thing is, I, I get what you're saying. The term the Terminator franchise has had has had like is regurgitated this idea so many times and has tried to do something every single time that is different, that is new, that like reaches in another direction, that tells different stories. That, that I don't even think like it has in, reached though, other than it, dark. In, in the case of Genesis, it does exactly what this film does right at the beginning, which is revisit the actual previous franchises bad. through a different context. But <laughs> I think that that having Lana Wachowski do this and and have this sense that you know, like what I think actually makes this work is this idea that it is a playground conclusion. And the word conclusion is really important in that context because it is the sense that we are going to take the franchise, we're going to do something with it that we think is interesting, and and we have something to say, and then conclude it. And, you know, like, if you want to continue it, that's, you know, good for you. If you don't want to continue it, that's fine as well. But it doesn't... What, what I like about this movie more than anything is it doesn't... It doesn't detract from what was great about the original... Mm-hmm. It doesn't detract what was. I don't you know, know. Some guy on, on Twitter yesterday was telling me that they ruined Neo. Jesus Christ! Uh, maybe because there's a, a shot where he's pooping. Uh, 
Isn't it? it was a, I, whenever I hear comments like that, I can't rem, I, I think I'm attributing this to the wrong author. Because I know Alan Moore said this, but he was referencing F. Scott Fitzgerald, which is that F. Scott Fitzgerald, when people were talking about adaptations of his books into movies, uh, famously went, uh, you know, told the journalist, look, uh, let's go into the other room. And he put, went, to, went to his bookshelf, pulled up his books, and he said, look, my books are still here. Nothing's happened to them. You right. know, like, it's still there. Mm-hmm. Um, so whenever someone says it's ruined something, it's like, well, can't stand it's still that. there. Um, so I, I, that's the part I like about it. I, I do like that. The part that the I, it only it's a it's a real textural quality for me that uh, uh, that this film has, and I I really thought about it again, and I guess I am pushing this towards James Cameron, but James Cameron and uh, Denis Villeneuve had a conversation uh, in the last week about uh, uh, about Dune. It's delightful, by the way, if you ever want to hear um, two directors who kind of just love each other's work, just talking to each Aww. other and like complimenting each other the whole time it's really quite delightful to listen to especially I, i've heard james cameron can be quite a prickly person but mm-hmm. but but in this he's just like delightful um but because he lost his heart in the ocean <laughs> he also he looks great by the way that dude is like i think he's gone full vegan or something like that and i was like man this is whatever you're doing dude it is working vegan um, diet vegan powers I'll, I'll... <laughs> also james cameron unlike a lot of filmmakers is uh you know he's on his own schedule he's on his own schedule he, just does he, probably, he probably gets a lot more sleep than every other filmmaker <laughs> avatar but, two but, through five have been cooking for quite some time he but can do whatever rate, he wants there, there was a thing that he talked about in that conversation where he talked about and and i always find that like James Cameron despite making movies that are so populist is way smarter than it than his movies would suggest um yes. and and like he talked about uh with Denis Villeneuve the proscenium frame of Dune and he talked about how uh, there was a sense of scale when it came to the visual effects and story t- and storytelling through the visual effects of the proscenium frame, the the sort of and he said and and what he equated that to was the sense of the epic, um, and he said why this really works in your film is that there's a discipline to the to the way in which you're employing visual effects and storytelling that feel unified within your story, you know, so it, it is it is a a piece and part of the of the entire meal, and. To be fair, with the original Matrix, that is a sense I got with the way visual effects are deployed in that film and the way martial arts and and choreography is that the ballet of it is completely unified within the sense of what the story is and how it moves. And what I love about that is Bullet Time is like one of a dozen things within the first Matrix, and each of them feels special. Each of them feels like they were constructed with a sense of care, craftsmanship, and 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 what it does is it loads the frame to give you this sense of like, um, I am witnessing something that has been crafted specifically to um, to generate an emotion that is that that was considered from the get go, and that's not a sense I get in this film. Now I, I have heard the counter argument that is not the intention of this film, and. If that is not the intention, there's a part of this movie which is like, as I mentioned earlier, is a is a coffee. Yeah, there's a lot of coffee in this movie, which I really like. But a coffee table <laughs> movie, a coffee table, my dinner with Andre, where it's Carrie Ann Moss and and um, Keanu Reeves just conversing about the lives that they live, live and and the reality that they that they have to go in. But there's a sense there that they they go off and make those th- that conversation at some point, and it's it's hastily done, and it feels there's a to me, while I like the sort of it, John Tall didn't shoot this, but uh, while no, I like he he, he, he oh, started sorry. on it, but then but yeah, then, he shot like half of it and then left the project. Like all the San Francisco the, the DP stuff. DP from Sense Eight, 
took over. Uh, well, uh, Daniel uh, Masakasi, I'm yeah. probably mispronouncing his last name, he's been the Wachowski's camera operator, yeah. I think, for like a decade. Yeah. So he had been working on it. I think John Toll was like... This is the guy who should yeah, like yeah. he like he like he knows how this works and, and so and I think the aesthetic that he generates is really great. I I actually love the color palette of this. I think it's appropriate for the technology changes that have happened since 1999 to this. Uh, I think their sort of idea to sort of give this almost a a, a Malik is sun kiss to the movie is really beautiful. The saturation is really beautiful, but there's a sense that what. I think is interesting about the movie, and this might just be a personal thing, is the is the potential for the conversations between Keanu Reeves and Carrie Ann Moss, and and occasionally the the conversations that they have with the analyst. I also think that those conversations aren't well fleshed out in this movie, and and Carrie Ann Moss's decision to like ultimately there's a there's a part of this movie which is reframing the idea that 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 Trinity is uh, as as integral to the to the change of the matrix as neo is if i don't think that's a reframing i think reloaded and 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 why am i blanking on the third one revolutions Revolutions. i think think they explicitly make the idea that that she is as critical a part to this they do not say a line trinity you are as crucial to the matrix as neo but they do very much present a unified front that from the beginning i mean she literally brings him back from the fucking dead in the first one this film in particular says that she is actually the key here, and she is the no, one no, no. Flies, they are she... the key here. Well, that's that's the thing. At, at, at and there's there's rate, all the theories about at, at where the code rate, goes the, and all that the, shit. The the conversation that Trinity has, like the first film, is really framed around John Anderson having to leave his life and accept the reality of what Tom Anderson uh, is. It Tom Anderson? John Anderson? Is is it's it's Thomas? Yeah. Oh, okay. But that uh, that, that, that said. Keanu Reeves has played as someone who uh, John Wick, yeah. as, as, well, no, as someone who hosts a currently on hiatus Keanu Reeves podcast. Right. Um, he's John Constantine. John he's played Wick. a lot of Johns. Johnny Utah. Johnny, Utah, yeah. Johnny Mnemonic. Johnny, Johnny Mnemonic. Mnemonic. He's played yeah. a lot of Johns in his life, so <laughs> it, 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 that's a natural thing to say. Um, I didn't get the. I, I think there's an interesting story in Trinity having to abandon her children. And walk away from her husband, you know, not not Keanu Chad uh, Stalansky. Is that his name? St- uh, Stahelski. I love that. That's the fucking but, stunt but, double but, slice director of oh John my, Wick. Oh my I god, so fucking good. That's the part of this where I kind of feel like, oh, there's a lot of interesting ideas at play here. Some of which aren't fleshed out in a way that makes this feel special or profound, but just more like, oh, that's an idea. Here it is. Cool. Well, in that particular moment. Um, I don't think I wanted more fleshed outness of that thing because th- those are concepts that I mean, I mean, I'm uh, familiar with in media and the way that that's sort of treated in general. Like, I this movie does a lot with sort of common language of things, and that to me was something that like I didn't need more to understand what they were going for in that particular moment. Like, I get what you're saying, Shear. Like, oftentimes you and I have discussions about like, oh, well, this would have made a more interesting movie if they dive deeper into this. I mean, just I- even a beat more is all I'm talking about here yeah. because it, it's like she, it, it, I, I think there's a, the, it, and it doesn't have to do with like, abandoning children and abandoning a husband it's you just want to see more children abandoned it's really i do want to see as a, as a parent anytime there's a movie where someone abandons their kids i'm like fuck yeah, yeah, fuck yeah. kids. <laughs> well, i want to live up my dream vicariously through this character <laughs> if my son ever listens to this i love you um <laughs> well 
Well, he'd have to make it to hour one forty-two at this hey, point. Hey, look, look, the blank, the, the blank chick uh, people just released their three-hour discussion of this movie. So I think Jesus, yeah, um, it's, it's 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 three and a half, and I was like, you know what? <laughs> I listened to the whole thing. Could be like, oh, 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 <laughs> like as soon as that came out, like first thing in the morning, I was like, oh. like I I no joke when I saw the running time, I did the Antonio Banderas like, <laughs> like back yeah. meme. Oh, that, but, that's what I want. Oh, 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 and they're and and they're doing commentary episodes on the whole series. Yeah, so like, yeah. I got to hear David go off for like three more hours. <laughs> yes. Um, but but there is a sense that that um, I, I there's a quality to this that I can't quite shake. That it does feel that there are a number of ideas at play. It does come together, and I respect and admire that this is the take. Do I feel that it really lands in a way that I think? makes the take profound uh, that I'm, you know, in, in a way that I think Toy Story 4 does, you know, just by comparison, I, I, I'm not there, you know, and, and, and I, which is where I come down to like, I think this is an interesting footnote and a really interesting idea that has been added to this, but one that kind of doesn't quite come together in the way that I think could have made this amazing. Yeah. I, I mean, I think this is one of those things where, and, and now I'm wondering about myself, where because uh, Shahir, you you had said that you know you you never had a whole lot of attachment to like the Matrix in general. Yeah. And and I'm wondering, I'm like, is this is that did I respond so strongly to this just because I care about the Matrix a lot? Mm. Because I was like, when I realized, I was like, oh, because I, I should say, I you know through the three original movies, I love Neo. I love Trinity. Um, again, I think partly because those movies are so emotionally reserved. Mm. Uh, the love story, something that I, you know, I, I cared about to an extent, but it was never like m- my priority in mm. in those films. And um, and I was I was genuinely surprised how invested I was in this when they're just talking in a coffee shop, yeah. like right from the start. And I will say, I would have loved to have. I don't know exactly how they would have fitted into the story. I would have loved to see a bit more Trinity in like the middle section yeah. of of the film because she she goes away for a little bit when you know Neo's yeah. like waking up in the real world and all that. But um, but like I when it when it became clear that the priority of this movie because you know I've I've heard people complain that the stakes were really low, and and I should and. Very brief tangent, but uh, it's about the movie. But um, but I, but I, but but, but it, it, I want to steer off in another direction because th- there's a point that I I I do really want to make. One thing that I really appreciate about this movie that I think bucks the trend of a lot of the Lego sequels is in a thing that, um, again, I I I like the Force Awakens as a movie. The thing that I maybe dislike about it the most is that. It picks up thirty years after Return of the Jedi and says, uh, "Yeah, even if even even if like they 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 you know destroyed the Empire and like you know had you know had after six movies of like the rise and fall and eventual redemption of Anakin Skywalker and like after six movies the the, the final defeat of of you know Emperor Palpatine and his fascist regime, eh, it all just kind of went back to the same conflict, and it, uh, it turns out that didn't really mean anything, and it's just the same thing as as before. The Matrix is the same or worse. I'm quoting. I'm not saying this film. I'm using a but, line but I, from the movie to, to point, prove that the, point. What what you're suggesting here is that the end of Revolutions, when 
there is a sacrifice made by Neo has resulted in an actual sort of uh, paradigm shift in what in how the Matrix actually operates from this point yes, forward. Yes, that, that when he wakes up in the real world, I was so genuinely happy to see that, oh, it's not just us at war with the machines mm-hmm. forever mm-hmm. again. Oh, society has actually evolved and adapted into a new way of living. There is like... Um, a, a more you know harmonious existence with the synthians with uh with the 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 programs that can take corporeal form within the real world mm-hmm. that things have actually changed and it's not just the same conflict as before which is also nice because this and 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 to get back to the the neo trinity thing I found that I was like like when I realized oh this isn't uh, you know, about a war to like free the human race. This is, you know, compared to the other movies, the stakes are relatively low. This is really just about like in the, like in this new existence, like the thing that matters the most is finding the person that you care about. And and sorry, I'm gonna, I'm gonna yes, jump go. in on this because here's the deal: for all these fucks that are like they ruined Neo, blah blah blah, cry me a fucking river. I would argue, A, Neo's not the most interesting character and it'd be really hard to ruin. It's really the entire movie for me. But B, if you think this movie ruined Neo, you don't understand your fucking character, bro. Like, literally, to to that point... If, if people say that the stakes in this movie are too low, you're not paying attention to who the fuck Neo is. Like, th- straight up. Like, th- this is the highest stakes for Neo in the entire fucking series, in my opinion about this. He literally, the whole thing, whether however it's presented, but the information is all there, this is a love story. Like, yeah, you, it, you know what's, it, yeah. what's weird is that Sorry, I, th- I, I feel like to... this is a point that I've made several times over, and I feel like I'm making the same point every time. But like in in West Side Story, for example, I I said <laughs> that I think the the sort of the radical shift in West Side Story is to reframe the entire thing from Anita's point of view and make that film about Anita's journey through this whole thing because she is the most interesting character. In Dune, I said the same thing about Jessica, which is that this first film should really be from Jessica's point of view because she has the most interesting conflict in this story and and you know um uh timothy chalamet's character who's paul paul a trade <laughs> paul yeah uh back it, to arrakis <laughs> is is like the is the least interesting in that first chapter and i feel it's the same thing in this and i and i, I hate that it's like the same point but like even in a performative level as the as, as we look at the sort of body of work of carrie Ann moss we can all agree that we haven't seen carrie Ann moss as much as we have seen keanu reeves in the last 20 years and the two roles that carrie Ann moss uh, is most famous for is playing the um the 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 female protagonist alongside lost men both memento and uh the matrix mm-hmm. and uh, you know like i not to say what this film does is incorrect or or it's it's sort of framing of the story through neo's point of view is incorrect but i watch it with a sense of uh like you said you know trinity disappears for a whole lot during the movie and then comes back and rides a motorcycle and flies and i was like i kind of just want the version where Neo and Trinity have to have a tit a tat and are having coffee or something like that. And Trinity's needs and wants and her decision to leave the Matrix and the choices that she has to make are as foregrounded as Neo's was in the first movie. Because just because I think that's interesting and what I get in this film in terms of that journey is not interesting. 
you know? And that's that's kind of, in terms of that, you know, that question you're asking about, am I just invested in these two characters? It's like, I, I like those two characters. I like those two actors. But I was like, but I kind of just want to see more of this story as opposed to this version of the story. I do get get that. I mean, I I get it. I don't think I agree. Right. Uh, as in, like, this works for me. Like, yeah, yeah. The, 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 yeah. Don't want to yuck the, you the, uh, Right. I mean, the thing is, like, the, the scenes where, like, I, and again, I'm surprised because she's, you know, the, the scenes between her and Neo, you know, there's like a hand, a handful of them. And I was surprised how much, at least just to me, came across in just her talking about, like, you know, the the, the part when uh, she... I will, I will say also, game. Yeah, I was gonna say like like I love especially on like repeat viewing is catching more of like their reflections yeah, in surfaces, and, yeah. and uh, but just like you know the the part like like I, I was surprised how much of her like her own narrative and uh, through this came across just in those dialogue scenes, right. just about like her feelings when like her husband like laughed like at at, at this thing that she said, just like uh, like I could really detect like this whole like evolution like in 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 like you know from like each time she appeared throughout this movie i will say i think it was uh, like i uh, because almost every scene pretty much every scene in this movie has keanu in it yeah he's there and, and his I, journey in in terms of you know like jumping off the bridge and and the you know like his therapy and it, that really does take up a oh, lot of the first yeah. third right. yeah. of the movie and especially because um, because of the like, we, we can't forget the framing of like him as the creator of the Matrix games. Yeah, yeah. and I'm like, and, I, and because that is so important to I think what this movie is trying to say, uh, you know, just just about like taking this thing that was personal to you, and in his case, it is his own memories and experiences that he had, and uh, as the, like I. I think, like, you know, one of my favorite scenes in the movie is just after he wakes up in the real world, just him and Bugs just, like, just talking about how, like, that's what The Matrix does. It takes this thing that, that meant so much. They that, took your story, something that meant so much to people like me, and turned it into something trivial. Yeah. And, uh, like, I really love that scene. And so, and I'm just, like, if they were, I mean, this really just gets down to, like, the, you know, the, you know, the craft of like film editing. I'm like, if you cut away to like other storylines and other characters, you, you know, this might have like lost a lot of momentum. And it, it, uh, yeah, I, and what I'm talking about obviously is a different movie. Yes, and and, 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 so I, and loves I, talking about different movies. Oh, I, I do this all the time myself. <laughs> I, and I love and trying to I, rewrite movies. Yeah, and I'm not. And again, I'm not. I'm not suggesting what what doesn't what. What is on the table here isn't interesting and isn't doesn't not work. I think what I'm just trying to sort of prod at here is why it doesn't. Why for me, I still by the end of this, having watched all four movies, go well. I think there are, you, you know, like the Matrix is fine. You know what I mean? Like I, I still walk away from it going the Matrix is fine. So right. I, I've been very. Very positive on this movie all the way through. You Arthur. have for someone who ha seemed to have like all sorts of like super mixed feelings. Now it's time for those mixed feelings. Mm -hmm. Okay, I uh, here we go. So 
you brought up Patrick. The uh, we were very, we were both very excited, and I, and I think Shahir, you you liked this as well. This sort of like differences around the machines. There are now machines fighting over things because resources became an issue, and then there was like sort of a bit of a war, and then there were the senti- the sentience. Uh, I, I believe sentience. Sentience. Thank you. <laughs> uh, and of course, oh, uh, Morpheus. oh poor Morpheus. Well, I mean, listen, I will say that the, what was it? The, um, uh, the exomorphic particle codex was dope as fuck. I love that. Um, so, so, oh, all right, Shahir, don't, you, you're literally a, a synthetic codex I, right I now am, on our screen. I am Morpheus in this conversation. You are, you are not in this room. Um, I will say that like, if, if you drill down and I have a bunch of actually questions for the end of this podcast about like, I want to see if people can answer. Cause I still am like, I don't know a lot of shit about what's going on. I, I was really disappointed that they kind of, and I know there's a lot going on. There's so many plates spinning, but like they mentioned that the machines were fighting each other and some have sided with the humans, but like also, and that Neo's journey did cause change yet. They're still hiding IO. Like, the humans are still hunted? Or shouldn't they just, like, shouldn't everything sort of exist, especially because the analyst is like, and people don't want to leave. So, like, why are humans and, like, I didn't understand why there was still conflict or why they were worried about, uh, not that they wouldn't be worried about, like, trying to break Neo and Trinity out and them being thwarted by Sentinels or, like, whatever, but, like, why the humans were still in a hidden city. Like, I, I was, I, I didn't, there, there were moments of, of that sort of story of what was happening in the real world that I was like, you keep telling me that all this stuff has changed and I'm seeing elements of it. But you're still doing the same shit despite that. And I got like, wh- what, I, I, when we got to those moments, I got real confused at what this movie was trying to say. <laughs> uh, I, I, I mean, I think in simplest terms, it's that like, because, you know, at first Neo's like, wait, so like, Nothing changed. Yeah. It's all, I mean, he, you know, kind of like you. Yeah. And uh, I mean, I think, I think the, the point there is, it's like, you know, you don't just like, like blow things. Like, like, I mean, like even at the end of revolutions, like I think a thing that pissed a lot of people off is that he didn't just beat the machines, then it was all over. It's yeah. like at the end, it's like, oh no, we basically established kind of a treaty. Yeah. And uh, and it's like, and 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 this, it's it's like. It's not perfect. It's like it is this, you know, this kind of messy thing that is is not like we don't have like a utopia now. I just wish they talked about Uh, the messiness in a weird way. I do think Jada Pinkett Smith's character has an interesting voice in this conversation. Yeah. By the way, I don't understand the ages of anything, like why she's aged 40. It, it doesn't matter. Uh, I, I, I can explain. <laughs> yeah, no, explain. I, I, I'm sure there's an explanation. No, I kind of want to hear it. I don't care. Um, <laughs> wow. Well, uh, okay. So let, so, uh, so you guys want to get into like like the, 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 the earlier versions of the Matrix and like with the yeah, Oracle and stuff yes, like that? Yes. And, and oh, there's, a, no there's a part here. to what what she has to say, which I actually, th- again, I think is a really interesting part of the story, which is that she doesn't want Neo to do this thing because it will upset the peace that she has worked so hard to, to, to kind of create. And, you know, like they she is in a transitory period where they are starting to grow food and grow plants. And like there is a rebirth happening on their side that will be upended for what purpose? So is um, she worried that if Neo frees Trinity, the machines are going to be like, what the fuck? We had this thing going and then attack Io? Yeah. And, like, and so, okay. And, okay. Then, and then there's a thing that like, I, to be fair, the, the, one of the parts that didn't, 
land for me was Priyanka Chopra's character, who really does become like an exposition machine. Sati? F- yeah, for, for like, this is what... She is the in the Ocean's Eleven franchise. She is the person who, like, is planning the heist. Um, and, Basically, and, yes. Yeah, and, and you know, like, I, I, like you, Matt, I was kind of like... What is the heist? <laughs> like what? And she was riding on Kojaku, right? Like she's not Kojaku, Kojaku, but she was like in the program was riding on the bird. <laughs> right. I mean, Kojaku and her are, are friends because she right. says like the reason that she managed to not be purged was she was she, she just has like one line that's like if it weren't for Kojaku, like I I, I would have been right. purged. And right. she's the final character that we see in Revolutions, right? Like that. Character. Yes. Yeah. Sitting yeah. with the oar. Yeah. 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 Yeah, because like her whole thing was that I, uh, her father, you know, yeah, right. Because like her. Her, her parents are trying to get her out because she was a program that did not serve a purpose. Yeah, and so and and so she would have been purged. And, right. Because and then at the end of Revolutions, the thing is like she's talking to the Oracle, and it's implied that you know Sati kind of just like created this beautiful sunrise that like mm-hmm. who's the, like like the thing was like she, she basically she made a beautiful thing which does not is not to the to the machines a, a purpose that is important yep yeah. yeah. and you know i i think again the the way that this continues that idea like i actually don't like of the three films revolutions is one i don't like you know it's like i kind of just watch and go yeah, it's a big battle between robots and humans, and I'm like, Re- yeah, and it works. Revolutions. Re- yeah. Revolutions is my least favorite of, of right. the four. Yeah. But it, it's like one where where I watch it and just kind of accept it for what it is, and go, yeah, I think that's cool. Can uh, can can we do a quick lightning round of my questions? Sure. Go ahead. Okay. Uh, I, I, yeah. I, so they're big and small, real quick, and I want to see if people can figure. I'm going to start with a small one. Okay. What patterns do the birds make? Do you remember there's like they keep yeah, cutting yeah. away to that pattern like they and the birds are doing is there a pattern or is it just the fact that it's the same over and over again? I can't tell you. Okay, that's fine. I think there's uh, a ma- I I think if you went into the law there is probably a mathematical function like a Mandelbrot function or something that like that. That probably feels like something that what should those be. What birds do. Okay. But um, whether it's relevant to important the- sure sure sure. I, I I think I I will say I think it's it, it's kind of meant to be the thing that that maybe like looks if you look look closely at it, it like it looks a little bit glitchy kind of in the way of like when you see uh you know like when uh at the beginning when uh a when when in quotes morpheus is um is talking about when he started to the realize something was wrong yeah. and he's like seeing like the code, code the, and stuff the like condensation. that yeah exactly oh, i love that so yeah I also, I, I also associated the birds with deja vu the cat which was obviously such a big part of the first movie. i love deja vu kind of the just cat. like felt like they were part and parcel of like glitches in the matrix okay yeah next question swarm mode okay so they're bots right <laughs> so these are actually not people that are plugged into the matrix they are bot programs that are running to keep people at those sort of distances the way neo and trinity are they're sort of like to generate as much energy as possible is that correct right well, well the, I, what what he says is that what became easier than just um than, than having agents which would take over the code of like actual humans plugged into the matrix is just to like like fill the population with a bunch of just programs. So yeah, so, so these are programs that are just running their lives like the handler programs with Neo, etc., right? Well, so what it, is what is it called in Free Guy the non um, NPCs. NPCs, yeah. I I haven't seen Free Guy. Free Guy was kind of fun. I liked Free Guy I, quite a bit. I, I heard it's better than expected. Do have a lot of Yeah. So on that note, <laughs> if these crossover. are bots, if these are bots and this is me this is me pushing up nerd glasses with some bullshit, but this is just a fun little question. Why aren't they bulletproof? Well, because if they're not real people, I mean, they, I mean, they why isn't the arc, bullets? Why isn't the analyst bulletproof? He kind of is. He keeps coming back. 
Well, he is, but, you know, I S- guess. Smith shoots him. I don't know. I was like, this just seems like a thing. Doesn't matter. Let's keep going. Why uh, uh, Why is Smith trying to stop Neo in Act 2? I have theories, but what I, do I, you guys think? Well, Smith is the, yeah. I think, the trickiest part of this entire movie to pin down. I, I, I want um, Patrick to answer this question, so I'll just jump in with like a couple of thoughts here. One is that uh, uh, Jonathan Groff, I think, is winning the movie in terms of <laughs> in terms of like He's just having, having the most fun yeah. and like having like jumping into the character of that Hugo Weaving played with such glee and such like like pitch perfect, uh, literally in every scene. Uh, so he's just wonderful in it. Um, I think the theory is. And Patrick, you will have a better uh, answer than I will. But the theory is is that there is a legacy uh, um, animosity between Neo and Smith that Smith is has part of his agency, his character that he still retains. And when he when he is awoken from the Matrix to realize who he is, that part comes back to him. But by the third act, he realizes that is no longer required in the new paradigm of the Matrix and abandons it. Is that kind of it? That's, that's kind of my read on that's it. That's pretty much um, what I think it is. In that, in in, in a similar way, I think uh, to like why you know the analysts put like Neo and Trinity close together. Yeah. So you have them like yearning for each uh, for each other to like power the Matrix. I think it was also a thing where he's like this conflict between Anderson and Smith is just like because again, like you know. Th- the analyst, it, it you know, it like create making people just kind of like generally feel bad yeah. in their lives, yeah. uh, in the way that like the algorithm might <laughs> right. You, he's scrolling through Twitter, even though yeah. you just like feel shitty about it yeah. all the yeah, time. Yeah, yeah. Um, and I think he found that like, oh, okay, this Smith thing by having him in close proximity and having like them just not get along, that's just going to like keep powering this thing more, and then. Uh, you know, you get to one of my favorite moments in the movie is just when Jonathan Groff sees the gun laying yeah. on the ground, and so he's just like, "I want to pick this up and shoot this guy." Yeah. <laughs> um, but but and then I, you know, and I, I think then you can kind of get into because like in the uh, in the in two and three, he's basically just kind of like a virus yeah. whose yeah. whose purpose is basically just to consume everything, and now he's kind of moved on. I mean, now he's just kind of like this, like you know, force for chaos now. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> So, like, I, I kind of took it as be- because without both Neo and Trinity in the new Matrix uh, via the analyst plan that they basically Smith, I forget if this is an act two or three or wherever he comes about it, like, he knows that if Neo and Trinity don't go back, at least in act two, I think this makes more sense, then they're going to revert the Matrix back to the way it was and he doesn't want that because he's been sort of freed at Exactly. This point. He he likes this now. Yeah. And then to get like the further step with it in terms of like, you know, what is this saying? Uh I'm really just going to steal some ideas that they brought up on the blank check episode that I think are really okay. accurate, which is that because he is uh it it's no you know, it, it's it's not an accident that Smith embodies basically like the studio executive. Mm. At the beginning, right? He is, you know, like like Smith, the villain, like like begins as the studio executive, yeah. the guy basically forcing you to like make this thing against your will. At the end, it is not like he is not the ultimate villain, which again was why I think you know this is not a movie that like hates itself and wants like even like okay, like 
sorry to minor tangent, but like you even look at Speed Racer, which I think is a like really beautiful film about trying to be an artist within this this system. And and the thing about the the, the thing in Speed Racer is, you know, it Speed Racer is very aware that like. Yeah, to to do to to make stuff to like to do in that world making art is is racing, racing. but yeah. it's like the, the art is your is your wheels. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> but it's like they realize you do to like do it at a high level. You do do still need like a bunch of money and yeah. funding and stuff like that. At the end, speed does not like you know, blow up the system and right. end racing and just drive for his own like pleasure on like open roads it's like it's still there he finds a way to work to to like you know basically like create a revolution inside the system like make revolutionary art while still like working within this world because there's that's all you can really do and 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 he manages to not be corrupted by the system and so and here it's like you know neo the guy who has the who a very personal opinion about who really knows what the matrix means and who's like, you know, those, all those memories and the games or the trilogy or whatever are like, you know, are so personal to him, you know, his enemy is not the executive at the end. They find a sort of like uneasy alliance where it's like life is filmed in to come to be. Yeah, exactly. That, 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 that's, that's really kind of it. Yeah. All right. I I think there's an interesting, um, thing here which I, I thought about the the last shot in the wolf of wall street where uh you know he's told to sell the pin and we see the audience and the audience and the implication that martin scorsese is making in that film is that the audience that has been watching the movie is being sold the same lie that um that jordan belford has been sell- selling throughout the entire series and i think the 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 interesting thing in the question that you just asked is the 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 audience for the conflict for which Neo and uh, Agent Smith are being put together for is the audience that is watching the film because Neo takes the uh, the conflict that he generates from his boss and and funnels it into the game, right? Like that's the that's the theory is that the game essentially feeds the audience and that is the product that that Neo Smith has created and he's funneling through the idea. But I think maybe there is a sort of pointed idea here, which is that. The audience that basically buys into this conflict and the love story, you know, creating this sort of trinity, the holy trinity of of Neo Trinity and and Smith, is the actual audience watching the movie. And in my in in my head, the sort of uh, weaponization of of the the bots towards the end reflected the sort of um, the sense that the way in which that conflict can be weaponized against the audience and the way that we eat it up is kind of in, indicted within the film itself, within the text uh, itself. And, I, you know, like, again, it's not the most elegant reading of what the film is doing, and it's not the most elegant thing that I think... It, it's not It's not a movie that is having a conversation about that idea. It's a movie that is basically laying that out as the idea. But it's like... You know. But I also, Shahir, I know before you got to the, eh, it felt like you were getting a little bit excited. It felt like the energy generation from you at that point was actually peaking a little bit with uh, just that I, discussion. I, I was, I was, uh, just a, just I a, was siphoning energy from the end of Wolf of Wall Street into my conversation about. Listen, I'll take which what is I can a movie. Get. Also, I didn't love the first time I watched that. All right, I, I got three more. They're quick ones. I'm yeah. so sorry. Okay, here we go. Uh, why does Trinity need Bugs's mind if they're transferring her consciousness? to the ship I didn't get because there's a lot going on in that moment and I know that there's a neat thing where they're like sort of the same person like the same sort of I forget like their ID systems are linked but like 
I didn't quite get the reason. Like, I don't need the mechanics of how does this work. I was kind of like trying to figure out what the what the narrative point of that moment was. Did anyone glean that at all? It's a minor Honestly, thing. At that point, uh, yeah, I was like, okay, yeah, they're they're running towards something. I mean, it is like. Uh, to an extent, it is kind of just the heist movie thing yeah. of it's like, and you got this job, right? But 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 also, here's how like this computer system works. You need this gadget okay. that we've never heard of, hmm. and uh, and yeah, and and for the here's here's the thing. I, uh, I, I I've been reading like every interview everyone involved with this movie has done anywhere, and a thing that I know uh, like David Mitchell, uh, who is like also one of my favorite novelists, and I was so excited that he worked on this movie. Uh, and, um, but I mentioned that, like, he was like, oh, yeah, when we first got together to work on this movie, or to, like, work on the script, uh, Lana just, like, took a couple of days and explained literally every bit of The Matrix to us, including every single thing that happened after Revolutions and before this, right. and I'm just like, oh, I, w- I would, like, yeah. w- how much do I have to pay to have <laughs> that, to have that seminar? That'd be I want to, because I'm like, I bet Lana knows the reason about, like, exactly how the, like, the whole thing with, like, being plugged in and like what your consciousness does and mm-hmm. stuff like that. And I'm like, maybe like maybe it was to transfer just like like fighting skills at the time to help her get out of this situation. Uh maybe they, they just need like I like I don't I, I don't really know. But but basically it's just the heist movie thing of like this is the way this complicated made up machinery works and they just had to plug her into a living person. Because they they just say, Bugs, your mind is the closest. And I'm mm-hmm. just like, sure. Sure. You know what you're talking about? Well, I, yeah. And I will say with the with the pedigree of Lana and what the, uh, she and 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 the Matrix as a whole has done, I will say yes, I will take that as a like I'm sure there is a reason. I just didn't know if I missed something. But but to that to that end, did the did the final sort of um chase scene through the streets on a motorcycle did that um work for either of you? It it Okay. Yeah. Well, well this gets into the larger question in terms of the single, I think, largest complaint about this entire movie is why is the action not as good as it was in the original movie? And uh, which we, we 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 do need to address because, like, look, I love the movie and I'll be the first to admit that the action is probably the weak point. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, a thing I will say also is that if the original Matrix were not one of the best most game-changing action movies of all time it's not like compared to contemporary movies this has like astonishingly terrible action it's just that it is not the it is not the pinnacle it is not the first matrix level action and um and i think on the one hand so so, so like if this weren't a matrix movie which again it's absurd. That's an absurd statement because this is so deeply a Matrix movie. But it's like people would not be complaining about that if the, if this were not called the Matrix. Uh, and so and and for me, I'm just like, I think that you know the action in like I guess like the, the the first two acts of the movie is like it's fine. I don't I don't I don't like. I don't dislike watching it, but it's also like I, I think it's also very clearly like not the priority of the movie right. in the way that it was absolutely one of the top priorities in the first movie. Um, there, there's stuff, you know, 
the, there's stuff I like in there. I like, uh, you know, I, I think the bathroom fight with Smith is pretty fun. Mm-hmm. I think Morpheus and uh, it's always bathrooms. Like, uh, <laughs> yeah. like, like, uh, when when Morpheus shows up in in Thomas's office, and, oh, it's, and so it's just good. like. Doing like aerial cartwheels yeah, in the for background, no <laughs> and uh, but it's fun because Thomas is like, "What is going on? This guy is just doing flips around him." <laughs> but um, but the thing is, like, I think the, f- I think the third act, uh, action set piece, like the the whole the motorcycle chase up through, you know, like going to the roof of the building and then throwing missiles at helicopters and 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 jumping off is um, I think it's pretty effective and pretty exciting. It's not, it's not the same kind of exciting as, you know, like the first Matrix was, but again, but, you know, yeah, I'm just, I'm just, I'm going to wrap up this point in a second. Yeah, yeah, Um, But also, uh, you know, again, we we have to talk about this movie in conversation with, you know, other franchise blockbusters, considering the way that almost every franchise blockbuster that comes out has a way too long third act action set piece that is just a bunch of gray CGI sludge, you know, forever. Uh, I think this is much more exciting than most of those. And I think it is like, I'm not going to say revolutionary, but, 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 but but to me, pretty compelling that, you know, this series that revolutionized like, digital visual effects and is so known for its you know like for like almost like visual effects like more so than anything else that its climactic moment is two like two actors the actual actors two people in their mid 50s just leaping off of an actual skyscraper in front of an actual sunrise and uh, and I'm just like like it's it's not a big visual effect shot. It's like it's not like, they, like they painted out the wire, but I'm like, that's like the two of them doing it for real. And I think it's like it's it's exciting. I think it's like a beautiful image. Uh, I like I I think so. Like this is a long way of saying I think for me <laughs> that that final set piece uh, absolutely works. I think for, for to those I, I'll, I'll just sort of mirror that a little bit. The two things that worked for me the most was the implementation of swarm mode for that motorcycle chase. Other than that, the I didn't particularly care one way or the other. But the second that happened, I I my jaw dropped and I was like, they're fucking not doing this. Like holy shit! I had a holy shit moment. It was the first time in the entire movie that I had a true like, oh my god, what? And then the second thing to Patrick, what you just said. <clears throat> I I appreciate a practical effect. I appreciate, and I know this is a little bit going into a little bit of how the sausage is made. We know that these are 50-year-old actors. We know this is a practical effect. We know that all this stuff, but like there is a magic to that that I was, I wanted, and I felt that that was the perfect sort of culmination of what, uh, what this next chapter of the Matrix represented. It was it was tearing away all of the pomp and circumstance of all of the other stuff. Not to say that that stuff isn't valuable back in the time when it was made, but we are focusing on these characters and the important parts of them, and here are these actual actors doing this actual thing that is meaningful for the, meaningful for the actual characters. And that, to me, felt very, very powerful, and it was a pretty shot. So yes, it, I, the end worked for me as well. I'm I'm less so there. I, I think you know. I, I talked about the the proscenium frame that that, uh, that James Cameron mentioned earlier. I, I think uh, just just my only point here is that uh, 
I felt as someone not invested in really what was happening that my eyes were glazing over. I think the key, the like, and, and, and for me, that just comes down to the discipline of ideas being presented in a way that makes them feel special. And um, the, so for that, you know, as things were happening, I was not like engaged with it. But the one idea I, you know, like that made me do, you know, sit up and kind of go, oh, yeah, that's an interesting point is the fact that Trinity says, I had a vision of this and it did not go well. And we see like a person falling down and yeah. then we realize later what the implication of that. I think that's a good piece of storytelling to foreshadow that. Well, not, not even foreshadow it, directly show it and then reveal its meaning later. And so that to me is a great idea executed well, but the actual, you know, flying through the streets and the swarm and that sort of thing. I'm like, it's, it's, I, I, I you know, the same with the the sort of stairwell fight that happens with the Morovian or um, the Merovingian. Merovingian. Oh my god! He does call uh, out Zuckerberg. He does. Like, uh, you know, it's just and cell phones. Uh, oh, I, you know, you know what I? Uh, this this is an odd reference, but there was a lot of. I think um, the first Matrix really leaned into slow motion photography and obviously bullet time being the two sort of modes of operation that they really worked. And to this day, work very, very, very well. There was a lot of step print photography in this film. I don't know if you guys have seen that before. It happens when Morpheus takes the red pill and basically you get this sort of like 12 frames or sometimes six yep. frames a second mm-hmm. sort of stepping through moments. And I thought like... The only person I've seen use that really successfully is Wong Kar Wai, and mm. and and he, he does, does it, yeah yeah like Fallen Angels does it a lot. Fallen Ashes yeah. and and he you know Wong Kar Wai did a did a Wuxia film, uh, Ashes of Time, where he used it, and it's really confounding when you watch it because Wuxia is all about the the movement, and this and this action kind of counteracts that, mm-hmm. and so that was something where I was like, oh, I think this is an interesting idea because this is something new to the to the lexicon of the Matrix that we haven't quite seen before, and it's being used very deliberately in certain spaces. But I didn't quite see the connection between the use of that idea and and what the story really, other than when it's it's Morpheus's consumption of the of the red pill but- i mean they, they they use the same thing uh when neo takes it as well yeah as basically just like they're like dizzy and disoriented mm. and uh yeah I'll- it adds to the lexicon but not in a sort of like and morpheus you know, kind of hams it up a little yeah. bit too when Profoundly, he, when he- yeah morpheus kind of grits grab he puts the sunglasses on and then he's like yeah, I, I, yeah, Yaha Abdul Mateen. I'm like, I really like this guy. I, yeah. I love this guy. Like, and it's, it's so far, we've seen him in Watchmen, Candyman, Aquaman, and now The Matrix. I'm like, he hasn't, he hasn't quite broken through. Like, the closest is Watchmen. And I'm like, I'm just waiting for this guy to break through. And it's just like, every time I watch it, it's kind of like, ah, but this isn't the one. <laughs> Yeah, like, I mean, like, I remember because, like, I don't know if either of you watched the uh, short-lived, way-over-budget Netflix show The Get Down. No. Yeah, yes, yes. Yeah. And, it, it uh, the Baz Luhrmann thing. Yeah, the Baz yeah. Luhrmann thing. I, I really like. it was, like, it's really messy, but yeah. I really liked it. And a bunch of people, like, uh, like Justice Smith and Shamik Moore, like, yeah. that was kind of, like, their breakout thing. Yeah. And um, it also includes... Uh, uh, at the end of the first, like, it was, like, split into, like, two half seasons, I think, because it was so over budget. Yeah. Uh, the, like, it includes a needle drop of the Star Wars theme <laughs> that is, uh, that is like, jaw-droppingly great. Yeah. Uh, um, anyway, but uh, but he 
He was like a villain on that show. Okay. Yeah. He was like a disco king guy who was like a piece of shit. And I remember like when I heard that he that he was going to be in like Aquaman and stuff like that, I'm I'm like, oh, okay, the like disco guy from the Get Down is going to yeah. be Black Man. And anyway, and it's like, and now no one has mentioned the Get Down in like in years. Yeah, it didn't and he's quite just continue. yeah, he's just been like in all of the also like, you know. He's been in like, especially you know, like his role in Watchmen is like, <laughs> it's I, amazing. I, it's it's amazing, but it's also the kind of thing that, considering the baggage of that, mm-hmm. yeah. like, so I, I I can only imagine actors being like terrified yeah. of like of 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 being like, okay, you're gonna be a guy, but you're gonna be, but then you'll turn out to be Doctor Manhattan. Yeah, and um, and w- what I think is, is interesting about. Yaya, we're on a first name basis. Yeah, yeah. Um, <laughs> um, yeah, yeah. Is is that I've never in, in in all of these things he has never seemed to me like a he's not a naturalistic actor. He's all like all of these feel like very kind of like heightened performances. Just a little extra in different ways. And um and look, to be clear, I love him and I'll, I actually I haven't seen Candyman. Um, he was he was good in Candyman. I I believe it, but like love him in Watchmen. I, I think Black Panther fucking rules. I really like Aquaman. <laughs> I, I think um, there's just the thing with him, fun. which is that you you're just, you can see that the there's just got to be a break point for him, yeah, where he explodes out in the world. And I, like he's on the cover of magazines, you know, people love him. Like you can kind of see it happening, but he is now being associated with like at least four major franchises. And not quite broken through in any of them. And he's he's well, he's never the leads in these. He's never yeah. the, well, yeah. Well, and except for he, Candyman. But yeah. he, I will say, uh, he was his performance as Bobby Seal in uh, the Trial of Chicago Seven is very solid. He's like, yeah, he's he's very good in that. He's very. It's not a the that role is not given like the much room of, to yeah. breathe in that movie. But it is literally because he's taped down. But but. Uh, it's it's the kind of performance that like clearly can make an impact, and he really he he delivers in that one. He um, does, yeah. And and like and this is the kind of thing where it's like you know on paper it's like wait, I'm going to be the new Morpheus. He, he's playing Morpheus, like and this is the gonna you know especially because also the like the it's interesting because this movie gives you so much information so quickly up yeah. front yeah. that it's almost disorienting. It's like, wait, what is well, going yeah. on? He's like, he's like black agent Smith, but then he's also, he's Morpheus, Morpheus but yeah. like what? Cause I, I remember like the, like the but rumors he's a program for, now. Yeah, yeah. Like rumors for a long time, you know, were that he's playing young Morpheus, which again yeah. would have made more sense to a lot of people. Sure. Yeah. But, um, but this, I, I find such a, an interesting, version it's, of uh, well and yeah because I mean, it's just, the same it's, it's in a way it's the same thing as the watchman thing which is that he is a character that's not supposed to be that character that eventually morphs into that character and you're like oh right yeah and from it's what i understand with to be honest with you spoilers for candy man it's the same thing in candy man yeah yeah and from <laughs> what i understand and if i'm wrong email us in only movie podcast at gmail.com i love being told i'm wrong the way that morpheus's story goes in this entire uh the, the all of the media that this goes apparently there was a mission in the matrix online that explains what happens to morpheus <laughs> and how he actually gets part of his consciousness downloaded in digital code and then it sort of gets what i constructed through this sort of thing is that was the code that somehow Neo used to put in his modal that then mixed with some of his knowledge of Agent Smith. And then that is so it like it actually isn't just Neo's remembrance of Morpheus. It is actually Morpheus 
something about him in the actual modal that Neo is using. Interesting. Um, and I, and I, th- I think they haven't like really addressed like is the Matrix Online canon? I think it is. I th- yeah. It would, well, the, narr- the narrative elements of it, because I believe the Wachowskis were involved with the Matrix Online as I think, well. I, I think they were. Wrong. Yeah, it's um, but I I really enjoy like again in quotes Morpheus in this, especially the way we know when he shows up and goes at last. Yeah, yeah. And then like immediately, like again, it's like it, it, it's kind of the thing where, and this gets a, a little bit into why I'm like, you know, I don't really care that much if like the action isn't really amazing because I feel like, like a thing that they do consistently in this movie is it where, where it's like, you know, you, you have your thing where he like starts out doing like, he's like, here's like, I'm going to, I'm going to give a Morpheus performance. Then it's like, uh, yep. no, yeah. I'm yeah. not going to do that. Or yeah. like even the part where like, and when they, when they show up in, like uh, in that theater when the mm. the scene is playing on the wall behind him, and and w- was it, he's like, no one can be told what the Matrix is, blah blah blah. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's same thing. Like you know, they when they have like the dojo fight, Neo is just like, no, I don't want to do this, and just like <laughs> blows up the place. I mean, yep. it's the same thing that Jonathan Groff is being handed to do in the film, but the yeah. film just kind of there's, I, I guess maybe. Hugo Weaving's performance as as uh, Mr. Agent Smith is so big and grand, um, you know, by the by the end of the third series that there there's just a lot of runway there for Jonathan Groff to kind of like play around with it. Whereas yeah. the undercutting that uh, Yaha is given to do is is like it, it's such a tricky line to kind of navigate because he because the other thing is he looks so much like Morpheus, mm-hmm. you know, like so it's such a re, it's a really it's a much finer line that he has to dance and I and I I it's not him I just don't think the film kind of gives him as much runway to really deliver what what would make this work. It doesn't. I, I um I don't really like mind that necessarily because you know basically I feel like once it's established that like you know he is a program that honestly doesn't have like. He's a. It's almost like he's a pretty simple program. Yeah, exactly. It's yeah. like he's kind of like a a helper program. He's like he's got Morpheus vibes, yeah. and Morpheus's purpose is to find Neo, and that's it. <laughs> and then he's then he just kind of chills out. I mean, yeah. like I I love the part when when Neo first goes into the construct, mm-hmm. and he's just sitting out sitting there in like this like you know light blue suit, and he's in the in an Eames chair, and just like welcome to the crib. Yeah, yeah. And uh, <laughs> he's it's delightful, and yeah. and a thing that that I, 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 I do want to bring up um, because, I, you know, there's been a lot of discussion about this. I, uh, there will continue to be a lot of discussion about this. Um, but it, it is about, you know, the, I guess, like the aesthetic and visual language of the movie because I know, Shahir, you were talking about, you know, like kind of like the James Cameron, Denis Villeneuve conversation about, you know, the sort of like, you know, the, like, you know, precision of the frame and stuff like that and how this movie obviously doesn't have this. It's right. like, you know, you listen to anyone talk about how they made it and, you know, Lana has shifted into a much more, a much looser, kind of more improvisational, almost mm. more like, uh, like, you know, I don't want, I'm sure I want to go as far as to say like a cinema verite style. No, but, but, you know, like you could even argue that the dogma aesthetic is is an aesthetic choice that actually does function 
in a sort of in a stylistic way that makes you go, that is actually a clear, deliberate choice that actually works. And in this one, right. it's like, eh, I don't know. Well, a, th- a thing that I do think is important in this movie, and um, I, I will say, I don't even know if I necessarily agree with it, but it's really worth reading. Uh, recently, uh, the filmmaker Adam Egypt Mortimer, uh, who made uh, a, f- a fun uh, little movie called... Uh, Arch Enemy that came out last year, um, but uh, he wrote this article for I believe the Inverse. Uh, yes, basically... I read. I read this article. Okay, yeah. and um, I yeah, this was the one that I kind of like. Yeah, I don't go by it. It's um, <laughs> I think it's a really interesting take that's worth reading about how this movie like deliberately has like uh and like an anti aesthetic. Yeah, that uh, and it's it, it, it's it's hard to summarize, but it's worth checking out. I, what I th- yeah. But um, but obviously this movie does not look anything like the first movie. Right. Um, no, but, but well, sorry, I apologize. Can, can, can I? I, I the, yeah. the one thing that I do want to mention that I do that I, I haven't seen a lot of discussion about this, and I think it's like fairly important to the movie is that because in at least in the Matrix of the of the movie, the, the as in like where we start out, the Matrix that Thomas Anderson is living in, the one where the Matrix trilogy exists as a series of games, and it is interesting that these games seem to look a lot like live action movies, but um, but whatever, it 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 works better this way for you know than if it were a lot of like you know CGI cuts. I would have fucking hated that. That would that would have sucked. Yep. But what I think is important is because the uh. Because the the Matrix that 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 the trilogy that we that we are familiar with exists here, and that trilogy has a very very distinctive aesthetic and visual visual language. I I don't think it would work if this same Matrix had the exact same visual language yeah. uh, as as the like fictional versions within this universe. I think it's you know whether this particular one that. Uh, that Lana Wachowski chose is is the right one or not, you know, y- your mileage may vary. But yeah. I do think it is an important choice that this Matrix have a different uh, aesthetic and visual language than the other trilogy that exists here. Be- and especially, I think it makes sense to have, like, a kind of a, a looser, more naturalistic one. Even, like, the acting styles of, mm. of, of the people here are very different than the, like— Super precise, uh, you know, like super, like, like everyone is posing all the time in the original trilogy. No one is posing here. And, the, and to that point, in this narrative, it still makes sense. If we are now in the analyst's matrix as opposed to the architect's matrix, this is how it would be. Right. Like it would not be this precision. Well, because, uh, yeah, because the analyst is much more in touch with is it. More, is, it, it. Which, again, it speaks to our darker impulses and I think is a really interesting thing about, uh, you know, uh, the current state of everything. Um, so, yeah, no, that makes total sense that, A, it wouldn't do it because it wouldn't be mimicking the thing that's in the narrative that is already existing there's visual style. Like the outside of the game would not look like – or the, the yeah, the outside of the game would not look like the inside of the game because they're – even though – their representations in the worlds, they're still two different matrixes. Right. And and another thing that I, I, I want to add on to that is that, again, that I don't see anyone talking about is that the visual language within the real world, I think, is also pretty different than within the matrix. I think it is... Um, it is less handheld. A bit. It is more precise within the real world. You, you look at the sequences, especially like when they're kind of doing the heist thing and going up into like the power plants to get to like Trinity's pod and stuff like that. And it's like 
there are no handheld cameras. These are like very smooth, controlled shots yeah. that that also do look pretty similar to yeah. the, the like the, the visual language of the real world sequences in the original trilogy. I think like the, the big difference is just the stuff in the Matrix. Yeah, I think I think that that language has remained consistent because that you do kind of feel like okay, this is the world that they flew into, the Nebuchadnezzar and kind of all that stuff still makes sense there. I think I you know I do I I find that argument that this is an anti aesthetic sort of a little bit tenuous but you know um because because again when i think of anti-aesthetic i think of the dogma 95 films and exactly the way in which those still found like a visual language that was also functioned in the way that a visual language should which is that it gives you an audience a sense of orientation within space and i think you know like paul greengrass's you know shaky cam approach to filmmaking is a similar thing which is that despite being somewhat anti-aesthetic it actually does have like a language coded within it although that Uh, said i think it would be pretty exciting if lana had been like you know what we're gonna shoot this on like 2004 era mini dv cameras yes yeah (laughs) it's gonna look like inland empire i i will i will say the the other side of this that uh, i haven't heard a lot of conversation about is the interrelationship between this and the unreal engine uh demo that they that they released for playstation which Uh, also in i I think not i brief little thing i I want you to get back to this i i that that uh, Unreal demo, The Matrix Awakens, uh, two of the main guys who developed that were... Uh, John Gaeta, right? John Gaeta and and Kim Latreri, who were like the VFX supervisors and developers for the original trilogy, who have fun little cameos in this movie. Yeah. So that 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 experience, which I I have I have played on on the PlayStation Five in the corner, um, is a impressive as fuck on a console. No no question about it. But actually, B, I the first time I didn't catch this. The second time I did. I'm not sure. But I think, and this is the purpose, I think this this means that that exercise of doing Awakens sort of as a tech demo and what that sort of means for the future of either cinema or games is an effective use of time and energy. The scene where Neo goes into the construct and sees Morpheus, welcome to the crib, that sort of thing, and then they walk to, before they get to the dojo. I'm, my brain sees Neo in that, section and i'm like that's the unreal engine mm. uh, it, I, I think that section is very video gamey in the movie yes 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 like, but it, i'm it saying i'm feel, saying i'm saying you know. in my head whether this is true or not and i'd be interested to find out i wonder if there's even any talk about this but like i didn't think that was keanu reeves I thought that was the Unreal Engine's render of Keanu Reeves. The way it was shot, the way it sort of moved around that scene, it didn't go into any any sort of shots where you'd get that uncanny valley movement of the mouth. There was like there was a moment because because in the experience, in the Awakens experience, they don't do that and it looks hyper fake. Like it, I don't know, there was a weird I I will just say that I thought shaky backwards sort yeah. of thing. Um I will say I think that the Unreal experience is really effective for you know like for about unreally effective for about five to ten minutes it's great you're like oh my god this is amazing because of how photorealistic this looks and then you wander around in it and then quickly after you've wandered around it in a while you're like well there's no purpose to this oh it's boring as hell I, yeah, I, I, just sort of, I yeah you just but there's but the 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 preamble, but it's not a game it's a it's a it's a demo it, it's an inch it's a tick yeah, demo an yeah. the 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 preamble to it where. Keanu Reeves walks in and then they're sort of Texas switching him between the a real version and a and a CGI version of him is that kind of did give me that sort of like 
chills up the back of my spine in yes. terms of like what is real, what is unreal, and then the ideas that this movie has about what is real or unreal. Like I found that the, that that the way that it worked in the the tick demo much more effective than any of the execution of the ideas in the main film. Wow. <laughs> because I, I thought that, that that was just such an effective, like in terms of what you were talking about earlier, which is that the reloaded experience included a game experience that you had to like play through and then, you know, continue on. I, I, I was like, Oh, I, I know that they walked away from that, but I was like in this version, I think there was much more potential for that to, to work now because of how far unreal has come and what and, and again just the execution of you know Keanu talking to frame as Morpheus did once and then switching him back and forth between what was real and what's unreal that was like oh wow okay is this is where we're going with this that's cool and now I can't believe that me matrix fanatic Patrick here <laughs> I I don't have a ps5 and I have not <laughs> done it or played it. I, I realized that I could just watch the thing yeah, on you can't YouTube. Just watch it online. You can. Yeah. It's, I, it's I really, very impressive. I I I, like, I, I, I saw like the, the ads for it and stuff when it was coming out. Yeah. And uh, I think, I think I kept being like, yeah, I don't know. I, I know people with PS fives. So I'll just go to someone's place and play it. And I never actually did. Well, at one yeah. point I still have it installed. You could try it here if you'd like yeah, the, um, the, the, I will say this tech, technic, technical wise. Yeah. It is fucking amazing. I think the dialogue when it starts to be Neo and Trinity interacting is yeah. some of the most cringy shit I have ever heard in, in a franchise that I love. It, it is, um, it is the worst version of the movie that it is seen. the worst version. <laughs> it, it is. So, so, I, so, so this thing is both a better version and the worst version. It is the yes. worst version in terms of like recreating the original experience, but also the best version in that it, the execution of the idea of like the real versus the unreal is much more interesting in this than than uh, than I think what the movie does. I'll, I'll just give you a taste, Patrick. Yes, Trinity, in a narrative context, name drops, Unreal, <laughs> as in the engine. Uh, I I'm I mean this is a movie I that mean, name drops yeah. Warner Brothers. Yeah, no, do. no, no. They, but they that does it. That does it for an actual purpose. I don't believe that you'll. I'll let you. Play. Okay, it's, okay, it's, okay. We don't have to get it. Anyway, we've been going. Yeah, for a very for long time. Is this your longest episode ever yet? Uh, uh about possibly. a single movie. Possibly. Unfortunately, we're not quite at the same level as the blank chick people, and and that's really what I was aiming for. But no, I think we no, yeah. no. Here's what I want to do. We could just put dead air for the next, like, 25 minutes. <laughs> just leave it. Just make people download a 500 <laughs> yeah. megabyte file. This is the thing. And, and, and like, the, the, the thing is, Blank Tracks Matrix episode also isn't even their longest episode no, ever. No, I know. Yeah. It was, uh, oh, God, I mean, they, they haven't hit four hours. But they've done some, I, I'm trying to think, what was the one that David and I will Griffin say, was really... The, the the one time I was on that show, uh, it is it, it was only a little over two hours, and right. I was like, "Well, <laughs> I I guess I I'm like I, I'm glad we hit two hours, but this was never gonna go to three. <laughs> well, I, I've been to a movie with Griffin like years and years ago, and I I remember us like the conversation can go for a while. It, y yes, exactly. I <laughs> uh, you know I you know. 
whenever I hang out with Griffin, it, it, it usually ends up with, you know, just sitting in a bar and then, then it's like, oh God, wait, why is it, uh, well, why is it 1 a.m.? Yeah. It, yeah. It's, yeah. Well, we're getting to that point right now. Close. Uh, um, it, it is, for everyone listening, it is 12.33 a.m. Yeah. Happy Tuesday. Technically Wednesday. Um, okay. Oh, wait, can I, th- can I th- throw out a crazy, uh, yes. a, a, okay. I've given, you know, I've said a lot of stupid things on this podcast, but I've I've attempted to give some like actual like analysis and reads of like stuff going on in this movie. Can I give a stupid take that I yeah, thought about earlier? Yeah, yeah. yeah. Okay, okay, so actually, I'm 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 going to criticize something. A, a well, it, it's a choice that I'm I'm just like symbolically, I totally get. I I think this is a a a, a cool choice. Also, I don't actually like it that much and so it's a thing where i'm just like anyway (laughs) i i don't really like the cover of wake up at the end it's fucking terrible (laughs) it's It's and it's a thing where i'm i'm I'm, I'm like i do what i i you know when when like the, the the riff starts i'm just like i get what you're doing it is you know a cover of wake up with a female vocalist i get it and i appreciate it i just don't like this version i think I'm sorry to the band Brass Against, but I think adding horns to that song is kind of lame. Yeah. Um, I don't really like the way it sounds. You know what What they should have done at the end? What? Um, so, uh, <laughs> at, at the end, the, the, the needle drop for the very end of the movie, it should have been uh, We Found Love by Rihanna. <laughs> because they did find love in a hopeless place. What the, the and then, machine ending? Uh hey. Yeah. <laughs> um and uh and then as they're going off to remake the Matrix, <laughs> they should have just made a giant rave uh throughout throughout the, the streets of San Francisco because just as as an extra kind of like the fuck you have arrived. Exactly. Yeah. And as an extra little fuck you to people who who were just like, you know, who only like the cool like the action in the first movie and didn't like the sequels and and the sequels the th- the thing that everyone always pointed to is the rave scene. <laughs> if it ended with a rave scene. Yeah. <laughs> I would have I would have stood up and cheered in the theater. I Am I the contrarian here? Because I didn't hate that. In the, Are you I didn't fucking the, kidding me? Yeah, I didn't hate it. I, I was like, when they flew off and Trinity was leading the flying and the and the ver- and the song had changed. I was like, cool. No, no, I will say, I I love the ending. Yeah, and it's even a thing like like it's just I'm I'm just like I don't like this version of the song very right. much, but yeah. it's still it's not enough to make me dislike the ending. What yeah. they were doing was good. The act of what was happening was appropriate and effective, and I think it was the best possible method to end the story they were telling. Look, the I'm song, right- <laughs> the song itself is I'm, hot garbage. I'm that right there cover with you when you talk trash. about like, was it Panic at the Disco that did the Ghostbusters uh, revamp of the oh, uh, theme no. like years ago? Yeah, I'm, I'm there with you. When oh you, when you yeah, yeah, that, yeah. But yeah, anyway, I, I didn't hate it. <laughs> and, I, and, and I will say. I'm sitting there at the end, really happy, and I'm just mm. just, just thinking, I'm not crazy about this version, yeah. but I'm still into everything else. <laughs> it did sour the the first time I watched it when I didn't know it was coming. Uh, my my better half, Jamie, and I were sitting around, and we we just sort of like we're like we enjoyed this, and now this is terrible. Like <laughs> like like what the fuck just ha- like our moods instantly soured, and I was like. Huh? And of course, it didn't bother me the mo- that much the second time because yeah. I knew it was sort of coming. 
Uh, maybe I didn't identify the cover version quick enough, and it was one of those, again, sort of an audio uncanny valley. Right. Where I was like... And, and, and again, I, I'm not... Like, my, you know my pitch for it should have been a Rihanna song. Uh, I, like, I'm, I'm there with you on the, the rave scene. I, I think, I oh, think yeah. a rave scene to, to end it out would have been great. I mean, just again, it like just the amount that it would have extra pissed off. Yeah, like so much of the audience would have, I really would have really enjoyed that. That said, but like in terms of serious answers, like the, a difficult thing, I, I, again, I like the symbolism of the, having a different version of the song with the female vocalist. That totally makes sense. Mm -hmm. I think that's tricky there is, again, this is one of the rare points where it is like, usually it's like, the other parts where it, where it intentionally draws direct comparison to moments in, in, in the first movie, it's usually like, then, you know, doing more to subvert it. I think that this is still, like, this isn't quite subverting it as much as other parts. Mm -hmm. And because I think that that final, like, minute of the first movie is so extraordinary. I mean, again, it's like, it's it's mostly just cool and it's a guy looking cool when a cool yeah. rock song plays. But just the choreography of it, as in the precision with which, like, they timed it. And so it would be in slow motion. So, because it, it's this one shot that, like, dollies around as he steps out of the phone booth and it comes around into a close-up. He... He lingers on the close-up as the like doon 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 doon. It's like like the bass part plays. It's all timed so perfectly, and that song also just rules. Yeah. That it's just nothing could possibly measure up to that. And so having another version of that song. Here's the thing: that end is still you know aiming to be somewhat cool, and it's just that the song is. <laughs> not very cool. The imagery is beautiful. The way yeah. that they sort of spiral together as they're flying is like, this is perfect for what you're doing. This is the wrong song. But I'm just God. like, I don't know what the right song is. I don't know. This is the thing. Wake Up, symbolically, I, is the right one. But... I would take a different I, I would cover. go with Kendrick Lamar's Bitch Don't Kill My Vibe, maybe? I don't know. What sure. Sure. We should just recut the ending we with a bunch the of tracks We used to, we used to do this in a film class of mine where we take the scene from Apocalypse Now with the Fright of the Valkyries and just change the song All right. and like see what the intention what and uh it was always a lot of fun. Yeah. And we should that do seems that with fun. The scene. Yes. Yeah. I I that I, I I have swapped out needle drops in movies, you know, as fun yeah. experiments before and it is it's it's always fun. Yeah. And, and it's always wrong. Like it's, it's always, and, it is always wrong. And I mean, and I think part of this, uh, and this, I'm not going to spend too long talking about this, but it's that I like the score for this movie by uh, Johnny Clymer and Tom Tickfer. Yeah. Um, it is, as much as I do, to an extent, I, I do miss Don Davis because yeah. I think I love his scores for the original trilogy and no other blockbuster movies sound anything like those mm -hmm. considering that they're all like, they're like the first movie was all tempt with like the, the you know modern classical composer John Adams and that's yeah. kind of like what it's riffing it, it's like it's really interesting stuff and we, um we uh, we did an episode about movie music with mm -hmm. um Stephen Gallagher who works with Peter Jackson in terms of scoring movies oh nice and he specifically um in in a class that he teaches talked about Don Davis's score and the the sort of leitmotif of the of the single horn 
that tells you the matrix. Yeah. And I, I think you see, you hear it in this film every now and again. I think the first time you hear it is in the dojo fight when when Neo says you don't know who I am. Yep. And it's a meow. Yeah. Uh, it, it's it's it there there is um it, but it I I I also kind of see the idea to break that mold for this because that is in line with what this film is trying to do. It is. With the occasional kind of like Here's something. Exactly. Like a, a lot of, you know, whether it was Bill Pope or Zach Steinberg, like a lot of the original uh, crew, you know, did not return because, you know, Lana has, has a new crew that she's built. Yeah. Right. And um, but also the the original uh, the first movie in particular had such a strong musical identity yeah. uh, with like all the needle drops and stuff like that, you know, uh, you know. Dragula in the club, yeah. you know, going into like minefields by the prodigy to all these things. It's, it's like very much like of the moment, mm-hmm. yeah. like electronic and like industrial metal stuff. That soundtrack was such a big seller. Oh, yeah. And this I think movie, I still got it in that closet right there. Hell yeah. <laughs> yeah and but this movie won't have that. It, it, just, it just won't have that moment. It just, it, uh, well, I mean, th- this movie, it, it just, it isn't, it, it is not interested in. Uh, in in having that kind of musical identity and of the the like like that the first one did, and also it's just like that first movie uh, was also well, very plugged into a specific current culture. Yeah, yeah. And uh, the, I feel yeah. like I this might be my old showing, but I don't know if music has that sort of like hard line sort of like versioning of itself in pop culture anymore as yeah. much as it did back then so it know, would they're, be they're leaning pretty hard into the Jefferson airplane uh, white rabbit track in this uh, no 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 but no no but that's but that's not that's not current that's that's the past and what the matrix that, that is represents. classic rock yeah yeah, yeah. yeah. which again I, I love saying, that entire sequence side that's, oh oh, oh right, leading but, into Alice in Wonderland oh, oh, and white rabbit you know they, they totally are but if, if you look at it like until the very end the um the only needle drop in the movie is is a is a song that's like 50 years old yeah yeah so so to my point like when 1999 matrix hit that was looking at a subgenre of music that was very cordoned off and a specific thing i might not be plugged in enough to the music scene (laughs) in general right now to know if that is actually still the case but things feel more amalgamous now and i don't know if even if they chose a specific type of music to be the voice of this version of the matrix i don't know if it would feel if you'd get that same vibe currently because music is in such a different space now this is a thing now where i'm just imagining like you know i'm hired like like by i like warner brothers to be like look we don't lana picked a really lame song for the end and we really just find something better and i spend like a week swapping in a million things yeah. trying to think like what works symbolically what just sounds right musically what matches the visuals well and then finally I just come back and I'm just like uh I don't have anything better yeah. it's like it turns out that this kind of lame cover of wake up is the right choice yeah it very well could be and it, oh, actually here's the thing could they have just gotten a different band to do it That's that also point. had a female vocalist yep. uh, yeah. I I, Could they have yeah. not added horns? I look. I ain't mad. I ain't mad at it. <laughs> like yeah. my whole thing about it is, I, I'm I'm so middle of the road on this movie, which is they're like I'm just not mad at it. You, you heard know, it here like, first. I, Shahir likes the ska version of Wake Up. Yeah. <laughs> um, like, <laughs> you could give me the yodeling version of Wake Up for the end of this and echo it into existence, and I would be happy with it. Gentlemen, like, cool. They flew off. <laughs> gentlemen, let's do. <laughs> 
Final thoughts. Oh my God, have we not done this at this point? Nope. <laughs> Shahir, I want you to go first. I, I just did. I'm middle of the road on oh, this Oh, that's it? I'm, I'm, I'm straight down the middle of the road. Wow. I admire it more than I enjoyed it, but I didn't hate it. Okay, I will I will say this, and Patrick, I'll let you take us take us home. I think this film does such a great job on all of the different knife's edges that it's dancing on that I'm a little bit in awe. There are moments that I could pick apart and I could for fun if, you know, how did uh, Bugs and Trinity and Morpheus get away from the Sentinels after her pod? Who the fuck knows? Like, there's little things like that that, like, you don't quite know and it doesn't really matter. The important point points are hit here. And, and, and it's funny, when we first talked, Patrick... And I was like, I have so many conflicting things. The second viewing of this movie made a lot of those conflicting things go away. And uh, yes, yes, yes. And, and yes. I can, and I can, I can, I can find fault in things I do not enjoy. The song at the end, here and there, little minor things. But that doesn't take away from the fact that even though I can't say that, like I actively loved this thing through and through, as 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 the film experience I was getting, like just as a story. The, the the metatextual information of it actually washing over me in the sense of like giving me not only what the Matrix would represent in a 2020 or 2021 sort of like vibe, it was the most honest mainstream movie I have seen possibly ever on all different levels. And possibly that, ever? That, I... I... 300 episodes of this podcast, I'm, I'm struggling to believe that. To We're be roughed about 350 almost. No, oh, yeah. but like, that's the thing. Like, on all cylinders, this movie never fucking lies to you. <laughs> and sometimes movies lie for good reasons, and it's like a good sort of thing. But like, this movie is so blatantly honest with what it is and what it wants to be that not only am I, I'm, I'm thankful for it, like, the way it even deals with the Matrix, this will be my final thing, how now the analyst is like, it literally talks about, in, in technical terms, in a way that works in the Matrix universe to generate power for machines, the, like, the very specific needlepoint depression that actually drives people literally how we function on a daily basis in the real world outside of this film, how it ties that all together. I'm just glad someone fucking said it. Like... And 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 that's it. That's that's what that's how I will end. I am glad someone fucking said it. Patrick, please take us home. Okay. Uh, so I I I have monopolized so much of the time on this on on what might be your longest episode ever. Uh, for that, I apologize. But I want to want to thank you both for giving me this opportunity to um to uh to share the new thoughts I've had in the like two weeks since I was on the film cast. The pleasure is all ours. Yeah. Um, but I, you know, I, as I think is, is very clear, you know, from everything I've been saying, I, I, I did, I, I really did love this movie. And as someone who I both, I, I do go and see a lot of these, uh, you know, like, IP reboot franchise movies. Um, I, you know, uh, I can't help myself, but sometimes they 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 do press my buttons and and they do make me happy. Uh, but usually those you know those moments of happiness are like somewhat fleeting. I uh, feel somewhat empty in retrospect, and I've become pretty exhausted by a lot of by like not just the movies themselves, but just like 
the 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 state of uh of of mainstream filmmaking uh in that uh, I, I see a lot of these things and, and and I but it doesn't give me a ton of hope and this movie was just such for me such an incredible relief to see one of these things that so easily could have been you know, very boring and very empty. Or like e- even like kind of fun, but empty. Mm-hmm. And and to see it turn into something that that I find genuinely exciting and unexpected and really personal and more moving than I expected it to be. Uh, and then and and to have it hold up to like to multiple viewings. To uh, and it's just it, it's become now a movie that I. I do. I love talking about. I'm also. I'm glad that despite us all having, you know, a range of opinions on it, we had like a. I think a pretty productive, fun conversation. Yeah. Um, and so it. It's just like it's a. It's not oft like Matt, as you were saying. You know, it's 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 maybe the most honest mainstream movie you've seen in your time doing this podcast. It's just it's it, it's rare to see one of these movies. Uh, a fourth movie in a blockbuster film franchise and get this much out of it mm. like uh over like over this much time and to want to keep thinking about it and returning to it and um I'm just um I'm really happy it exists I'm happy that Lana Wachowski got to make it and uh and put this like final little button on what the matrix is and um and I'm I get why a lot of people don't like it, and um, I don't think I'm going to convince them otherwise. But uh, I mean, if if they want to just rewatch the first movie, maybe that's that's the thing to do. Yeah. And um, but yeah. Um. Anyway, uh, this has been look, guys. <laughs> all I can say is, uh, it was pretty exciting to to go back to where it all started. We're back to the Matrix. <laughs> I always think of Vinnie Jones at the end of Lock, Stock, and Two Smoking Barrels in these situations, which is just to say it's been emotional. <laughs> well, everybody, this has been the only podcast about the films, <laughs> about the, all of the Matrix films, but specifically the Matrix Resurrections. Patrick, buddy, pal, yo, friendo. Thank you so much for coming on this late Tuesday evening to chat with us about this film. When when you are not pontificating about the the meetings and minutia of what the Matrix really is, blah blah blah. Where can folks find you? So, uh, th- th- you can you, you can get more of me talking about movies, but in a slightly uh, you know, um more condensed scripted version, uh, so better, uh, on my YouTube channel, uh, just Patrick H. Willems. And um, and I'm on, you know, various social media platforms as Patrick H. Willems, probably talking about movies. And uh, the the Charles uh, conclusion film will the, be the, dropping the, at some point. The fe- uh, w- w- we are deep into post-production on the feature-length season finale mm-hmm. to anyone who's been watching the videos for the past couple of years. Um, it is long. It is weird. Um, I have a cameo. Maybe if it makes the final cut, who knows? If it uh, does. Matt has a cameo. Yes. So what more do you need to know? <laughs> uh, it'll be available on Nebula. Sign up. Uh, you know, when it has a release date, we'll tell you. Yeah, there we go. Uh, Shahir, so, when when you are not 
diving deep into the matrix to recut scenes from apocalypse now in a distant uh <laughs> musical virtual future where can folks find you i'm trying to remember what if there was a track from charlie's angels that we would put in that uh in that exercise and it worked so well because there was always this perplexing look from the vietnamese as they were looking up to these to these helicopters flying in uh, with this song, I can't, I can't remember. How many what it was, right now. was it? Many? Independent Women Part One <laughs> no, by Destiny's Child. Was it Spanish Flea? It was. I feel like it was Dusty Springfield or something. I don't know. All right. Uh, was it? Was at it any rate? Is, isn't Firestarter in that movie? Uh, there was a Prodigy Firestarter. I think in the sequel. I can't remember. Uh, was it McGee who directed? McGee yes. directed both of them. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. I didn't hate those, by the way. Anyway, you can tell, find me talking about the Charlie's Angels franchise on my website at www.shahirdaud.com. That's S H A H I R D A U D dot com. Matt, when you are mixing all your feelings together into an emotional vortex of um, little nano balls that form up the entity that is Matthew Kroll, where can people find you? You can find me and all of my nano balls going back to my website at M-A-T-T-H-E-W-K-R-O-L.com for my life and works. Also, Skeletor, the number four, P-R-E-Z on Instagram and PSN, and of course, Emperor MSK on Twitter. Also, please follow all the good works we're doing over on Extra Credits on the YouTube channel. We're just wrapping up our Japanese militarism uh, series. We are also, by the time this drops, oh, ooh, ooh, and on our So You Haven't Read series, we are we are covering uh, the novel Beloved, which uh, oh, yeah. is Great. fucking phenomenal, so please go check that stuff out. Um, gentlemen, uh, we, 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 have, did we have crossed, we did we have we crossed, have crossed the three-hour three mark. mark. Which I think officially makes us the longest episode of all time. I think it does. I'll have to go back and check on the phase one, two, and three episodes I did mm-hmm. with Shalia Evans. Um, but that was about six movies of pop. I guarantee you this is the longest one on one, one to four movies. So the, the bar has been set now, which means that when we do The Power of the Dog eventually... It has to be this long. Oh, right? yeah, of course, of course. And you <laughs> yeah. can email us in with your thoughts about The Matrix Resurrections or or any other film that you'd like that we mentioned at uh, OnlyMoviePodcast at gmail.com or you can tweet at us at OnlyMoviePod. All right, guys, I think it's time to unplug and go back about our daily Wait, normal lives. Wouldn't it be perfect? I know we have a theme song, but wouldn't it be perfect No. to, to like take no. off the headphones, slow motion walk, and to hear the track? No, I'm not. No, I'm not doing it. I'm not doing it. We're going to listen to The copyright infringement is worth it. Or better, I just scream wake up into this microphone for like a minute. My neighbors at one o'clock in the morning might not really enjoy that. Oh, well, but like, I might. maybe you don't care about good podcasting. <laughs> and it's time for me to go back to where it all started. Back to my apartment. Yeah. <laughs> hey, everybody. Have a lovely week. We'll talk to you next week. Goodbye. Bye. Wake up. <laughs> <laughs>